the blast from our past network. Hi, this is Brian Usna. I'm the director of Return to the Living Dead Part 3 and a down and dirty horror fan. I like podcasting after dark because it goes where I like to go. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs, starring Brandon Quinton Adams. Everett McGill and Wendy Roby. Gonna find you! Gonna give you a podcast! <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's your old pal Corey here, aka Sleazy C. Joined with me, as always, is our pal Zach, aka Tiny T, aka Zach the Snack. What's up, buddy? I ain't your fool. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how, how did you like my man impression? Oh, your man impression was was great. I think I grew some chest hair after you said that. <laughs> I hope everyone out there grows some chest hair. Yeah, everyone. <laughs> everyone. <Literally> everyone. <laughs> well, this week we are reviewing Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. This movie came out in 1991, and I'll kind of lead us into this. Luke and I saw it in the theater uh, back back at Olney Nine Cinemas, which is interesting because uh, Sean Whalen probably went to Olney Nine Cinemas at one point, too. But uh, we'll get to that in a second. And uh, Luke and I, re-watching this movie, I was watching it with my wife, and no shit, during the entire film, I'm like, Luke and I used to say that. Luke and I used to say that. <laughs> anything, almost anything that man says in this movie, I was like, Luke and I used to say that. And it was just <laughs> so many memories came back. And I realized that I watched the shit out of this movie in the 90s, and I haven't seen it since. And I'm just going to say it up front. I refell in love with this movie. So the people under the stairs, baby, coming back into my life. Going to find you. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get all burning hell. There's gonna be a lot of those tonight. <laughs> well, Zach, what is, what is your connection to the people under the stairs? And while you're at it, can you burn in hell for us? Thank you. Yeah, I can. I'm burning in hell. I'm gonna have. Oh, this is gonna be. Uh, welcome to incestual feud. <laughs> dun, 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 where your kids are really not your kids. But you think they are because stole them. Um, I <laughs> I watched this. I I I'm gonna do my bad Ozzy Osbourne impression. I I um, I saw this movie when it came out as well at the Sunnyvale Town Center. Shout nice. out to SV, uh, where I've seen many a classic like Wes Craven's Shocker <laughs> and uh, and Vanilla Ice is cool as ice. Drop that zero. Get with the hero. Um, I saw so many movies there, and yes, Wes Craven's People Under the Stairs. I believe I probably saw it with my brother Eric and his buddies. Yep. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm going to uh, drop a bombshell. I did not like this movie when it came out. Mm. In fact, I was I was I was kind of like perplexed by it. I don't think I understood the tone or expected it to be the way it was when it first when I first saw it. Mm-hmm. 
Subsequently, I watched it a few times over the years and it grew on me. I said, oh, now I'm getting the context mm. and the subtext and the da 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 da. Uh, and now watching it with you this time around, uh, my initial feelings were like, oh, this was the one I didn't like when I was a kid. And then as, as the movie's going on, I'm like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm really liking this so much. Oh, I love this. Mm. Oh, I love this. I love this. <laughs> I love this. I don't like that so much, but I love this and I love this and I love that. And then so t- for me is like overall brought back great nostalgic feels. And uh, I was a huge fan of Everett McGill. Mm. And then when I saw him in that gimp outfit, I was like, no, man, why you got to go all gimp on me? Well, it's interesting you you speak of tone with this film, and it is weirdly on paper it's all over the place. Everett McGill is is acting really weird in one moment, but in the next moment he's very sinister. Yet for some reason, I think it all works into creating yeah. this. What you know, I'm sure Agreed. you know. I've said it before, and about Chud and stuff like that. This is like an urban fantasy. It's not quite yes. a horror movie. It has horror elements, but it also kind of like Return of the Living Dead Part Two. It also has like kid adventure elements to it and stuff. It's it's a hodgepodge of genres that I think you know. M- Wes Craven masterfully put all together into a beautiful stew that, like you, even though I very much enjoyed this when I was a kid, I probably latched onto different aspects of it as a kid, but like you, I appreciate this movie now more for what it's really trying to say, and this movie is really saying a lot, and it's also saying things that are so very applicable in 2021. Yeah, way more applicable now um for me because back when we in 1991 we were teenagers so i don't think we had the the uh, scope of yeah. knowledge of what was going on society wise nowadays we obviously do um i don't know whether you want to call that being woke or not and who who gives a shit um but yeah no the tonal shifts throughout this and there are moments where you feel like a lot of stuff was probably left on the editing room floor. Um, Wes Craven, to be honest with you, I don't think out of like the top horror film directors, and when I say top horror film directors, I say John Carpenter, I say Toby Hooper, um, dare I say Joe Dante, mm. you could throw him in there. Uh, I would put Wes Craven below those guys, to be honest with you. I think his movies are, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy all his movies that he's done. Not all, but most. Uh, but I, I think as a filmmaker, he does not execute the same way those guys do. I feel like he, it's a, he's a little sloppier. Don Coscarelli, I would put above him as well. Honestly, that's my own personal opinion. That being said, I still think he makes original, fantastic flicks. Uh, you know, we talked about the Warriors and Walter Hill being a true original with his style of films i think wes craven is this is in that same boat like he he makes very original type movies when i think of originality like serpent in the rainbow uh, yeah and, I, I was hoping you'd you'd mention serpent in the rainbow you know and shocker i love i really i love shocker and and, and that's a, a hit or miss movie for many people um the hills have eyes the original one yeah. the original one is very hit or miss to be honest with you there are moments where it's kind of boring um swamp thing it has its moments too but Nightmare on Elm Street is obviously a classic. 
new nightmare I thought was really, really well done. Um, but yeah, I think there's moments in this room like, ooh, that fell a little flat. But that being said, it doesn't take away from the highs. And this movie has so many highs. And I, lo- and I love that about it. And I, was, I, was, I think one of the things that really helps it is story-wise, like what this movie's saying and like what this movie's about, there ain't nothing else like it out there. So, no, you not. know, any kind of like occasional technical difficulties that the movie has, you're like, eh, you know, I'll let it slide because yeah. there's this is such a unique film experience from beginning to end. Yeah, I t- totally agree. It It's way different than anything I've ever seen before. Um, you know, oftentimes, and I don't necessarily like to use the word like urban films, but let's, but, but it is an urban film, um, with a white director, Mm -hmm. but I think he captures the essence overall, uh, uh, the message that he's trying to get across. Um, you know, I just finished watching the Netflix series, the night stalker and, uh, which is, which is really good, but I remember that time and there, there's a couple scenes in this movie that reminded me of that in a way. Uh, and, and just what was going on in the late eighties, early nineties, as far as our, our, and still to this day, like you said, you know, closing our doors to people and not necessarily wanting to know the truth about situations yeah. and, and also white privilege. This is a mm-hmm. perfect example of white privilege. Oh yeah. So and what, what you the can way get the away cops, with. Yeah. The way the cops deal with them with man and woman and everything. Yeah, yep. totally. Yeah. I, I agree, dude. And it's interesting that, you know, you brought up earlier, uh, you know, you saw it up in Sunnyvale when, uh, when you were a teenager and I saw it in Olney when I was a teenager, but now we're reviewing it having both lived in Los Angeles. So I feel like I like the fact that we're reviewing it now versus back then because I feel like we have a new perspective on things totally. on this film and everything. And, uh, you know, speaking of the film, uh, Man and Woman's House, the the real house that they filmed in, uh, is in South Central. So, And I, th- I think that's where it was also supposed to be in the movie as well, which obviously now knowing Los Angeles, knowing South Central, it kind of made ev- made the movie – make more sense to me now that I'm, I'm watching it and everything. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool, but, uh, you already rattled off some Wes Craven stuff. So, uh, we'll just keep going into the cast and the crew and everything. I know Wes Craven wrote this movie, but he based it on an actual news story about two burglars who, I guess somehow they got into a house. The police were chasing them or something for some, I don't think they ever found the burglars, but then they found in the house, the family was like keeping all the kids like in the basement. So basically it like it opened the doors into this horrific thing. Like, yeah, like, yeah, reading a story like that would definitely, I can see how it sparked a creative impulse in Wes Craven. I, I don't take the, I don't mean this the way it sounds, but I'm just going to say it the way it's kind of, I'm the way I'm thinking it. I love, um, captive movies where people mm-hmm. are being held captive yeah. and it's and it's so disturbing to me it's so creepy to me i if i went i mentioned it on a watch list year, uh years ago a while back uh that you know the fact that i was almost kidnapped three mm-hmm. times and so I, i've had creepers around me my entire life and um and 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 i've you know we've been exposed as as many other people in this in in the united states to like bizarre stories of people being held, you know, in basements and cellars and, you know, Silence of the Lambs, uh, Buffalo Bill's character is based yeah. on fact. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the, these 
these kind of ideas of like, you see someone one way, the way they present themselves, you don't really know that person. Even though, you know, we know our friends, we know our, our loved ones, but also we don't in a no. way. There's always a double side to everybody mm-hmm. in that everybody has something about them, you know. Um, it, it's fortunately none of our friends, hopefully, uh, it's, it doesn't go that dark, but, but you know, the, the, you go out in the world and you see people on the street, you don't know what's going on in their life. It could nope. be a totally normal person on the outside and the inside, they got a whole torture device set up in their house. So, uh, yeah, it's creepy shit. It is. It is creepy shit. And the stuff that they do later, like when they're talking to the police and it's like, it's like, you're always like, you're so close, police officers. You're so close. Just open that door or go in there. You know, it's, I know what you mean. Cause you do, you sort of start getting excited and everything, but at the same time, it's also intriguing to watch the snake slither, you know, it's at yeah. the same time. So you're like, ah, what's happening? Be I'm with you, dude. It brings up just like gross feelings, but it's also, you don't want to look away either. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point. Wes Craven's great at that. It, he's, he he's is. The, he, he's one of the masters of, of of getting you to want to watch even the the most hor- horrific things. All right, you want to dig into uh, uh, the cast? Yeah, yeah, playing uh, playing fool or Poindexter. <laughs> I don't know what what's worse, Poindexter or fool, <laughs> aka Dexter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is Brandon Quinton Adams, and this is this kid. This kid, he's an adult now. I mean, he's in the Sandlot. Sandlot's a movie I never saw, and I'm not. Me neither. You know, I'm just. I was. Well, I, I think know. you. Just, I think you and I were too old for it. I think that is more of the '90s kids generation movie. Yes. We, we're '80s kids. Yeah. It, yeah. I never saw the Sandlot. Uh, I'm sure I will someday when Bodie gets older and he, if he gets into baseball, the Mighty Ducks. He was in the Mighty Ducks. Never saw that either. Yeah. Just me, not, <laughs> not me my neither. Thing. And the yeah. funny thing is, like. I am I, I I don't get annoyed by kid actors, but honestly, I, I don't really like seeing kids in movies like trying to act. I don't think they're great. Uh, that being said, Fool was fantastic in this movie. That he acted his ass off. I never and, and the fact that he's like actually a kid because we've seen so many movies where like a thirty-some-year-old is playing a you know sixteen-year-old, and you're like, no, this is actually a kid playing his his correct age, his character's correct age. And I thought he was fantastic. You know, I mean, he's not perfect, but he's damn good. Yeah, no, he he's he was he was really good at what he was supposed to do. Yeah, a couple of lines of dialogue. I was like, oh, Wes, come on. <laughs> That's not his fault. That's the script. Yeah. Uh, but no, he he was good, man. Like, and it kind of like Home Alone, uh, Kevin McAllister type yeah. Yeah. type role. Yeah. And, and so that's he's the lead in the movie. Um, the lead villain. Man is played by Everett McGill, who I will always know as the priest from Silver Bullet. The priest from Silver Bullet. Um, he's also in Heartbreak Ridge. He's a he's a he's a asshole major in Heartbreak Ridge. One of the best lines in that movie, Heartbreak Ridge, Clint Eastwood's movie. Um, Everett McGill is just being a dick to all the Marines, and uh, this one Marine in training collapses and then Clint walks over to him and whispers something in his ear after Everett McGill's character like berates him and the guy gets up and he keeps on hustling and marching. He's like, you know, you know, gung ho or whatever. He yells out a scream and he starts running down the, uh, the fields, like trying to stay like up when he could have just fallen. And Everett McGill says, what'd you say to that man? And Clint Eastwood says, I said, he Clint Eastwood goes, 
I said, don't give the prick the satisfaction, <laughs> sir. Because Everett, Everett McGill's a great asshole. Yeah, He's yeah. also, dare I say, the best part of Under Siege Part 2. Oh. Uh, he's an <laughs> awesome villain in that with Eric Bogosian as a villain. So weird. Under Siege Part 2, actually, guilty pleasure. I like that movie. I think, um, I think, I've, seen, I think I've seen it once, maybe. It was on a train? It was on <laughs> yeah, a train? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure my dad rented it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then he was in Twin Peaks. I was going to say. the only reason I bring that up is we, it connects with the other actor that I'm about to bring up. Right. Uh, which is Wendy Roby. She plays woman. The other female, she's the female protagonist, or antagonist, sorry. And the cool uh, thing is, uh, apparently she got cast first, and then when they cast her, they were like, "Hey, can you get in? Can you get in touch with Everett McGillis for us? I'm sorry, Everett McGill for us." And uh, you know, because we we think it'd be fun if maybe since like Twin Peaks was very big at this moment in time, and they were oh, playing this huge. kind of iconic crazy couple, so they're like, "Hey, let's get uh, Everett McGill over here, and we'll uh, let's let's have some fun with it." And so, sure enough, I think she was in- instrumental with uh, getting him on on board oh that's so cool yeah i mean they are the uh, the main couple in this Corey will divulge later <laughs> their secrets uh but but that's a great little connection i didn't know that that she was on twin peaks i didn't really watch twin peaks back in the day um and and now i feel like i want to i know i did watch it back in the day and i didn't understand it at all and i didn't like it but now i'm like i think i should see it because i think i would like it now yeah, I'm not a huge David Lynch guy. I'm really yeah. not. Actually, my favorite David Lynch movie is a dramatic, it's called The Straight Story, um, that Everett McGill is in also. Uh, but yeah, I'm not a huge David Lynch fan, but Everett McGill fan, I sure as hell am. Yeah. Wendy Roby, I didn't know her outside of this movie, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, A.J. Langer plays Alice, and A.J. was on My So-Called Life, which was a 90s um, you know, teenage drama, Party of Five kind of sh- type show on yeah. ABC. Uh, she was huge on that show. That that show was a big deal when it came out. Yeah, I remember and that. This is pretty much the other, the biggest thing she had done around that time. Actually, this I think was her first role, and then she did add that afterwards. That's right. Yeah, yeah. She because yeah because she's a little bit older in my so-called life. Yeah. Um, Ving Rhames plays Leroy. I mean, Ving. This is one of Ving's first movies he ever did. I, I'm not. I don't need to tell you who Ving Rhames is. He's Ving Rhames. And he's great in this, too. Like, he doesn't have a huge role, but he's memorable, and he's very good in it. Agreed. (laughs) I mean, like, what? I was thinking, is there anything more I need to add to that? No. No. He's great in it. And it shows that he had potential to be so much, have a huge career afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we're getting to get to your boy, Sean Whalen. He plays Uh, Roach. uh, Roach is, to me, is the the best character in the movie. Yeah. uh, Hands down. And best antagonist or protagonist, sorry. Um, and Sean Whalen, I mean, most people I think will recognize him and know him from the Got Milk commercial where uh, he is supposed supposed to answer the million dollar question, who shot Alexander Hamilton? And he says, <laughs> like he reprises that voice for this movie, if you think about it. Uh, yeah, if he doesn't have peanut butter in his mouth, he got something else net lacking in his mouth. Uh, and, and it's funny because when uh, when Hamilton, you know, I mean, it's Hamilton is still big, but like when it first yeah. popped, that commercial kind of <laughs> yeah. got circulated around because like everyone else, everyone was like, hey, this commercial is the only reason I know anything about Alexander Hamilton anyway. So it kind of like, Agreed. it kind of got big again. 
But for me, Sean Whalen will always have a special place in my heart because he is from the same town as I am, Albany, Maryland, and he went to the same high school as I did, uh, or I should say I went to the same high school as he did because he was about, I think, about 12 years in front of me. But we, so we, you know, when we saw this movie, we already knew like sort of who he was and everything. So, so it was a big deal for us to be like, holy crap, like that's somebody, you know, not only somebody just, even if they were just from Maryland, it would have been exciting to us. But the fact that they were from our town and went to our high school, we were like, holy crap. So hopefully we're, we're trying to reach out to him. Hopefully we get a chance to talk to him on the show. Yeah, that'd be great because uh, we are big fans of his work. He he has been in a ton of stuff. He's one of those guys that just shows up in every every big blockbuster, Twister, Men in yeah. Black, Never Been Kissed. Uh, you know, a little bit of everything. And he's, like you he's said, constantly working too. Constantly working, and like you said, um, from being from the same hometown, uh, he wears that on on his sleeve because if you go in his IMDb that's the, in the first paragraph yeah. talks about where, that he's from Olney so yeah. that's pretty dope <laughs> Bill Cobbs plays Grandpa Booker he's got two scenes in the movie at the end of the movie uh, Bill Cobbs big fans of Bill Cobbs we are big fans mm-hmm. from Demolition Man uh, you know he was in Dominic and Eugene if you guys don't know Dominic and Eugene if you want like a really sweet slice of Americana life it just deals with a bro- two brothers Dominic and Eugene is your movie. It's um, Ray Liotta and Tom Hulse. Okay. And Tom Hulse, um, I don't know if he's playing someone with Down syndrome, but he's got, he's, he's, I don't know, I don't know what the ex- specific term is, but he's special needs. Okay. You know? Uh, and Jamie Lee Curtis is in it. It's a really sweet movie and um, one worth checking out. And Bill Cobbs plays a garbage man in it, and he, he's just great. He's in everything. That guy is in everything. Even in, like, his whopping, you know, 10 minutes of screen time he has here, he's fantastic in it. And uh, But for me, he'll always be, you know, in Demolition Man. That's kind of, like, where I sort of noticed him first, you know. And his character's great in that movie, too. One of his biggest roles, I think. Yeah, he had uh, a lot of screen time in that one. Yeah. Um, and then... Fool's sister is played by Kelly Jo Minter, and you may not know that name, but you definitely, if you love the 80s, you'll know her from Summer School uh, and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Oh, no, sorry. A Nightmare, <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Yeah, which... Dream Child. Which my wife and I kind of just saw a couple months ago because we were doing uh, we're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday 13th sort of in tandem. And uh, we got to The Dream Child, and I was like, okay, what a great movie. But, you know, when we're doing this movie, I'm like, hey, that's her from Dream Child, which I just saw. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Yeah, she's, she's been a shit ton. She was in The Principal. I love The Principal, the James Belushi Yeah, movie. you do. Uh, God, I love me some principal. And apparently she was in the Lost Boys. I don't, I'm trying to remember that she was in the Lost Boys. She had to small scene. I had to have been something. I have no, I saw that too. And I was like, I do not remember her. And she's like, plays a character named Maria. Not, not quite sure. I do not remember. Yeah. Cause I know the Lost Boys really damn well. It's actually one of my favorite horror films of all time. And I don't remember her in that no me it's kind of blinking you miss it anyways she was in that rounding out a couple more notables jeremy roberts plays spencer and jeremy roberts um man that guy's been he's been in everything from jim carries the mask star trek six uh herbie fully loaded a very cool thriller called the 13th floor oh yeah uh, kind of underrated in my opinion 
he's just he's just a character actor. Uh, then when you see him, you immediately recognize him. You're like, oh, I know that dude. And that's that's the bulk of the main cast of this movie. Uh, like you said, Wes Craven wrote and directed it. Obviously, it was produced by Alive Films, which was John Carpenter's production company. Yeah, I was gonna say I recognize that. That's from um, Prince of Darkness, right? Didn't wasn't that Alive Films? Yeah, and so uh, Shep Gordon, Shep Gordon is one of the main producers of this movie. He produced a lot of of Carpenter films. They Live, Prince of Darkness, Village of the Damned. So there you go. That's that's the connection, which I I think is awesome. I'm just I was like I was floored the minute I heard that. I was like, oh hell yeah, yeah. Alive films. I I had forgotten um, that they produced this movie. Oh, and I'll just mention the composer. Uh, Don Peake, he did The Hills Have Eyes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. Oh, sorry. He was the guitarist for the Everly Brothers, which is kind of a big deal, actually, <laughs> if you think about it. Yeah. You lost that love and feeling. Whoa, that love and feeling. But he didn't sing that. He just played guitar. Wasn't that was in Top Gun, right? Well, isn't that what they sing? It to was her? in yeah. Top Gun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when every douchebag, every college douchebag frat boy at a karaoke bar would sing that song, thinking they would be the yes. Tom Cruise, and then and, they dated a girl, a bartender, and, and none she, of them ever were. No, and she's like, "He's such a douchebag," and I go, "He sure <laughs> is." She goes, "That's my boyfriend." I'm like, "Yeah, makes sense." <laughs> <laughs> but then she wanted to hang out with me all the time, which was really weird. Save that for another podcast. Yeah, we're gonna we'll unpack that one later, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, then that rounds out people under the stairs. And okay, goddamn, let's right. get into this mofo. Yeah, let me just—I really quick just want to throw out that the budget for this film was six million. It made $31 million, so very much a success, and it was being developed for a Sci-Fi Channel series before uh, Wes Craven passed away. Um, it, it, I, don't, I don't think it's going anywhere now with it, but there were talks at the time of either doing a TV series or like rebooting it as a movie or whatever. I don't know if that was ever would have been... I don't think that's necessary, man. Again... You know, spoiler alert, I think the movie holds up just fine in 2021, so I don't even know if it would need a a reboot. Or even a TV series. I don't see how this could be a TV series, but um, a miniseries, maybe? I mean, I would take a TV series if if Everett McGill was in it, but if it's not him, then it's going to be a pale, pale comparison of someone playing man. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I'm really thinking about it. I'm processing it. It doesn't, no, I think this is a good standalone. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I do agree with you. I think this is just fine as it is. So, you want to get into The People Under the Stairs? Let's do this. In every neighborhood, there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. Ah! 
the way out. Can't get out. No one ever has. What goes on in this house is a sin. Your father's one sick mother, you know that? Actually, your mother's one sick mother, too. But what goes on under the stairs <laughs> is a nightmare. It is time to clean house! Cravens, the people under the stairs. Hey, we have a really cool title card right out of the gate, right? Oh, man. So good. So good. <laughs> and like we always say, better than split second. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's our barometer for title cards now. <laughs> yeah. So bad movies, cyborg, bad title cards, split second. <laughs> there you go. We, yes, we have two barometers now. The movie opens on a <laughs> shot of tarot cards. Uh, someone is is basically drawing a deck and, and doing a tarot card, card reading. You know, at first you don't really know, but we know now it's Ruby is talking to Fool. Uh, she's doing a, a reading for his 13th birthday. Uh, once once Ruby pulls the full card, the camera kind of zooms in and sort of lingers on it. Then we have this this really long monologue, sort of dialogue, sort of, and the whole thing it pertains to the entire film. I didn't know how to paraphrase it, so honestly, I just transcribed it, and I'm just gonna read it for your listening pleasure. So <laughs> let me get into it. All right, so Ruby says. Now here's your card, fool. I'm going to do the raspy voice, too. Come That's on now. Oh, no. That's where I got your nickname. He's like, fool's like, don't remind me. Here you go. 13 to date. The golden-haired birthday boy is setting off on life's big adventure. All I'm going off to is 7th grade. You're the fool when you can't escape that. That ain't bad. Ain't the stupid kind of fool. Only the ignorant kind, because you're just starting out. But look here. He's already got a problem, see? One step in front, the drop-off. Fool says, what about the dog? That's Fool's companion. See his spirit barking? Fool, don't go marching off that cliff. Do the smart thing. Do the high thing. So what Fool gonna do if he ain't gonna go off the cliff, fly? He gonna do what he have to, Fool. Turn around and walk the other way, right through the fire of the sun. He'll get burned up if he do that. Just the boy part get burned up. The rest come out the other side a man. And no one call him fool again. That's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. If my boy part got burned up, <laughs> I don't think I'd come out the other end man, though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love a, I, yeah. Sleazy, sleazy Z over there. <laughs> touche, side, buddy. Touche. Side note, side note. Uh, Bodie was on the phone with his friend the other day, uh, and 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 he's like, "Can I, can I say something inappropriate?" And I said, "What do you want to say?" He goes, "He goes, Wolfman's got nards." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah." And, and his friend goes, "What are nards?" He goes, "It's your private area." And she goes, "What private area?" He goes, "In the front, the front boy private area." <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> And I go, and she goes, the front boy private area. And I'm like, now we're going to end this conversation right now. Cut, Because your parents are probably like, what the fuck are you talking about? Nope, we're done. Cut. The front boy private area. (laughs) 
<laughs> Your boy parts come out the other end, burned off. Oh Son, God. I did not expect this conversation to go in that direction. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. You were Actually, waiting for it all day. I wrote it down. I wrote it down. I'm like your, your boy parts come out. Wait, what? Hold on. Yeah, make you man, make you a eunuch, <laughs> like an ice pirates, right? Yes. Ah, exactly like an ice pirates. <laughs> I'm glad that I got to see the look on your face when I said that. <laughs> It was like, zoinks, zoinks. All right, so the camera pans down from the Fool card, uh, but now it's kind of like on a bookshelf behind Fool, and he's sitting there reading a book. Uh, We hear a woman coughing in the other room, and kind of Ruby's comforting her. Uh, Fool sort of quietly walks over to the bedroom door. He sees a sick woman in bed. We we know that it's his mom. Um, She's reading an eviction paper saying, I didn't think the landlords would do it, not now. Uh, Ruby kind of gets up and tells Fool to go back to, you know, go back to reading and closes the door. And Fool goes out into the apartment building hallway and finds uh, Leroy sitting there smoking in the hallway. Uh, we find out they have a little introduction. He introduces himself as, as you know, the or he, yeah, Leroy knows that he's Ruby's younger brother. He uh, introduces himself as uh, Fool, but his real name is Poindexter, which is, uh, like Zach said, it's a which name is worse right there. <laughs> But like at least Poindexter has Dexter, right? Yeah, yeah. And then like, look, that turned one dude into a serial killer, so it's not <laughs> saying much. There you go. Fool asks Leroy why his mom is crying. Leroy says that they have been evicted. Uh, they have to be out by tomorrow at midnight. Uh, Fool's mom has three days to to. Fool's mom is three days late on the payment, um, and there's a fine print in the lease that says if you're late, you have to pay triple or get out. I imagine in this day and age, that would be illegal, right? Like, there's there's renter's uh, uh, laws now to kind of prevent this sort of thing. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, because I, I think part of me was like 2021 brain was going, whoa, 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 a couple times throughout this thing, and then 1991 brain was like, yeah, but we were kind of just shutting our eyes to a lot of shit back then. We're, you know, we still got a lot of issues going on in this country, but we're definitely trying to fix those things. And they were not back then. I think you could just kick people out on the street. Or, or if if you couldn't, I think they were probably banking on the fact that the people that they were evicting couldn't afford to have a hire a lawyer anyway. So you know what? It, ultimately, they're not going to be affected, meaning the landlord. So, or ultimately, yeah. I should say they're going to get what they want. You know? Yeah, I feel like in some ways this movie um, sped up some points that might have taken longer to explain. But they're like, look, the audience is going to get it. I kind of like that, though. To be honest with you, there's times when I'm like. I over I overlook things like that. They don't bug me that much because I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get what, I get what's going on. I get the gist. Let's just get to the action. <laughs> well, and, and it's nice because it's you know it's packaged here so that we can have this and you know this enjoyable movie around it. But we're also you know technically, hopefully growing. You know, uh, we're we're experiencing something. We're witnessing something that we should be made aware of. And uh, even uh, Wendy Roby uh, mentioned in a, a documentary on the Blu-ray. By the way, we use the the Shout Factory version to um, you know review the movie. Great transfer, uh, as always. Highly recommend it. Um, but she mentioned that like she was after the movie came out for like I think like two weeks or something. Um, she was looking in some sort of New Yorker or something, and there was a satirical cartoon that was using uh, George W. Bush 
as kind of like walking down the stairs and the people under the stairs were all the disenfranchised people and it was clearly an homage to this movie so and then she saw it and then Wes Craven saw it she showed it to him he was like they get it they understand what the movie's about you know cool. and and cool. so it's nice that it you know so many of these movies that we talk about kind of don't get the recognition until much later so it's yeah. kind of nice that at the right when this movie came out people understood what Wes, what Wes Craven was actually trying to say oh yeah for sure for sure i mean i i i got that th- through this this viewing that's yeah. for damn sure and mentioning earlier what the landlords want, the landlords want to tear down the building and turn it into like a high-rise condominium. And Fool's family is the last one in that building. Uh, but it, it looks like a building from hardware. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it is terrible and it's totally scary. Um, Leroy, though, he, he does know how to make some money and uh, asks Fool if he's game. Cut to. A scene of a very startling cut to a very startling scene of a man who we know is man and, and woman is in the scene as well as Alice. Uh, but man is eating in, eating a giant rib cage in front of a blazing fire, mouthful of meat, disgusting eating. A, I hate watching people eat. I think it's disgusting. But he's Everett is clearly doing it grossly on purpose. You know, um, we have uh, uh, he, he's eating the in the giant rack of ribs is is huge uh you know obviously at first we think it's probably an animal but we do figure out that it's 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 a human rib cage uh there is a woman is by the sewing machine um talking about the one last family in the lennox avenue building um then it's clear to tear down so right away we know these are the landlords uh once they tear it down they can build a nice condominium and get quote unquote clean people in there i you know what i think they do a great job with the dialogue here of making them super racist without dropping a ton of like n-words and stuff like that like you know but i mean you you obviously you can tell that they are massively racist yeah totally totally no it it's apparent and 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 the setup's good like the uh what, what do you call it the um the dichotomy between the two or, yeah, or the juxtaposition between the, juxtaposition. the, the, the two because it, it were technically we're starting on two families and you know the the lower income family looks to be more loving and sweet and then the family that is clearly has more money looks disgusting and horrible yeah exactly woman is like i said making a dress for alice alice is there she asks but what will happen to the people and then you know just woman just kind of lays into her about you know girls good girls should be seen and not heard and i wasn't speaking to you just you know she's real just real mean to her you know but the scene ends with fucking man taking like just eating big mouthful of meat and then just spits out this pellet a metal pellet and says damn buckshot and even as a kid i was like damn that's like the, this whole scene was crazy it's brutal yeah and woman is very very reminiscent of piper laurie's character in carrie yeah Just that mommy dearest also yeah very, like mommy dearest kind of character which which is i mean watching the the documentary with with her 
she seems literally the way she talks like the sweetest person in the entire world uh but apparently this movie like she was she was more of a stage actor um and then she got the she got the um you know the the twin peaks thing but then that got her this and then after this it was like just a slew of horror movies she was like even my friends called me that crazy bitch he <laughs> and she like sounds like this old not old but she sounds like such a sweet person and it's That's it's just awesome. funny how like the nicest people like Mark Ralston play like the most horrible characters so very well. Yeah. Sometimes the best villains are the sweetest people in real life. Yep, exactly. The next day we see fool kind of going into a downtown LA apartment complex. At first I didn't put it together, you know, right away that this was his home. Um, but he's, he's going just chock full of homeless people and, you know, people shooting up and it's just, my God, imagining a kid having to go through that gauntlet every day that you want to leave your house. You know, that is just, that's horrible. Yeah. It's the new Jack city building. Yeah. The crack confested building. Yeah. Uh, but in downtown LA. Yeah, and you can see downtown L.A. from over there. So that looked like it was, yeah, probably South Central, somewhere probably near USC, somewhere around down there, I would imagine. We probably could have looked it up because they said the Lenox Street building. So, you know, but yeah. we didn't, but you guys can. So, hey, welcome to the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, he uh, he goes into his, his, his apartment. Uh, Leroy and Ruby are in the kitchen arguing about whether or not to kind of involve Fool in this scheme. Uh, Leroy wants to show Fool the real world. And Ruby says that Fool wants to be a doctor. But, you know, obviously, uh, Leroy throws some hard truths at her. And he's like, how can you afford medical school if you can't pay for rent it's it's interesting too and i didn't jot it down but there was also she ruby's like what about this person what about that person and you that person's in jail and and leroy's like he's in jail because he was trying to put food on his table it it doesn't go too in depth but i like the fact that it that west craven's writing is consistent with leroy he's not the worst person in the world you know what i mean like i think he's a realist and i think he's not trying to to go out of his way to help fool but i think he does believe that like come on fool let me show you an actual like how to survive in the ghetto sort of thing you know and i yeah. do think that he's 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 not we've seen so many villains in movies and i don't even i don't even want to call him a villain uh where they're like they're just doing chaos for chaos's things he he's like i'm stealing because i want to put food on my table type of thing I think this came out around the same time Trespass came out, Walter Hill's Trespass, and they're just simply anti-heroes. You know, oh, there you they're, go. They're people that are that are uh, have um, you know unspeakable means, and they have to do the the best with the situation they got. Mm-hmm. No, that's perfect. They're not killing anybody. They're just you know robbing from the rich to give to the poor. No, I, I think you're 100% correct. I think we can categorize Leroy as an anti-hero here. Fool says it isn't right to steal, but Leroy says that, you know, Fool's mom has a cancer that any doctor can take out, but she can't afford it. <laughs> I, she looked a little bit further gone to me, but okay, I, I get the setup. No big deal. That's fine. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, Fool, it was a little, yeah. any doctor can take out? <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, especially, you know, currently having uh, my father dealing with cancer, it's not that easy. I kind of wish that they would have maybe given her a different illness. You know, I feel like Wes Craven could have been a little bit smarter, but he probably landed on something that, like, everyone can understand. Everyone's affected by cancer. He He's just trying to have us connect to Fool as easily and quickly 
as possible. So I, I'm not going to begrudge him, but it it looks like she's a little bit further gone than, than any doctor could save her. I think that's kind of my my point I was trying to make earlier is that he kind of speeds along some of the plot points in just kind of like a, I don't want to say lazy way, but he kind of takes the easy way out. Using cancer is such a kind of like easy go-to, you know, it could have been, he could have said like, I don't know. I don't know. Give me something else. Give me yeah. some, you know, uh, whatever pneumonia or something like that. I think you're a hundred percent correct. I think he was just like, look, I'm, everyone's been probably been touched by cancer. Everyone knows someone. So I, I'm just going to use this as a, as a, as a crutch or a, an anchor point for our audience to kind of sympathize with, with, you know, fool. But I yeah. would have had Leroy say maybe something else other than like, she could just be cured. No problem. You know? Look, your mom's got spinal meningitis. <laughs> you know, eight out of ten doctors can cure that. The other two are dead motherfuckers. <laughs> Why do I sound like Sling Blade? Mm, I reckon I'll get her good. Mm. Mm, run, fool, run. Mm, get some tigers and run, fool. Mm. <laughs> I haven't seen Sling Blade in forever, oh, dude. I saw that movie back to. I walked out of the theater, walked right back into it because I loved it so much. Yeah, give it back in here, baby. Come on. Uh, mm. Back to people under the stairs. <laughs> fool, uh, fool gets mad at Leroy and kind of kicks Leroy in the shin. Uh, Leroy sort of slams him up against the fridge and says, "Now this is the big one, and someone deserves to be robbed." You know what? I'm gonna try this. No, I'm not. Nope. I'll I'll destroy Ving Ray, my Ving Ray's impression. I'll go. I'll just Why, keep it. Because you you're gonna sound like Buffalo Bill when you talk. That's probably how I was gonna do it. And hearing you do it, I'm glad I didn't. So, <laughs> the, this is the big one, and someone deserves to be robbed. Someone who don't care about families or the neighborhood. He just wants to bring the wrecking ball in so he can line his pockets. And then Ruby's like, "What are you talking about?" And then so Leroy says, "The landlord." That's who. Basically, he, he found a treasure map. And again, so this is when it goes yeah. right into like, straight. Into, I know. Like, I mean, seriously, like he doesn't even like l- like lead into it. He's like, I got a treasure map. It's like, hold on, really? <laughs> Which is great. It's great because this yeah. is where I think it becomes like an urban fantasy film. Like, it is. Of course, yeah. it's it's like the Goonies. Of course, there's a treasure map. That's so fucking cool. Look, I broke a penis off a statue. And I went upstairs, and there was a treasure map in that penis. Are you doing like a Mission Impossible reference? No, I'm doing a Goonies reference. The broken <gasps> penis off the statue. Oh shit! You I know when they try to fix it, and it goes upside down. <laughs> yeah. And then what does Chunk say? Oh, that's my best, my favorite part, or something like I don't know. And then Sean's like, or uh, Sean Aston's character. This is my mom's favorite part. Of course it is. Um. No, but no, it is. It, it at first a treasure map. What it is like a piece of paper. It looks like you know. It looks like yeah. a Xerox piece. It, it, and so again, it is a suspension of disbelief. Well, well, no, I, but, I think, but yeah. you, you. So it's funny because in the same dialogue, you. Wes Craven does the cancer thing, which we're all like, okay, that's a little bit easy way out. But then he goes through great lengths to explain how um, Leroy connects the dots of, you know, the he finds a letter. The So apparently the treasure map was in an, an envelope that is 
is I guess it was return address or, or sent to the the owners, and it's the same name as the company that's on the the eviction notice. So he pieced it together. I honestly I was like, Leroy, you're a fucking genius, man. I wouldn't have fucking put that shit together. So it's funny because Wes Craven does such a great job with that, but yet not with the cancer thing. Yeah, because like cancer schmancer. Let's get to the goods. <laughs> cancer schmancer. How about that treasure map? <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit! Um, all right, so do you know what lengths I had to do to get to this treasure map? I had to build a mouse trap with a man jumping off a diving board into a cup. <laughs> you mean the board game? Yes, yes, it's impossible. Well, I played that with my nephew for the first time in I my entire life. I played it for real for the first time, even though I've owned Mousetrap for my entire life, and I just built it and would do it. I never actually played it. And you know what? It's kind of a fun game when you play it for real. Yeah, it looks fun. Yeah. You know, you know what? Stratego is a fun game, too. Yeah, I do like Stratego. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, going to be another four-hour episode, guys. <laughs> settle in. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Milton Bradley. Yeah. Brought to you by Milton Bradley and the People Under the Stairs board game. (laughs) There you go. Roach is the uh, spokesperson for it. If you lose, you get your tongue cut off. Ah. Ruby says to leave them alone. She's heard bad things about them. Leroy asks if if she's heard about the gold. The letter is referencing uh, the from the company is basically a company that wants to buy the gold. So now Leroy also knows that the the landlords have a bunch of gold coins that they collected. This is when Ruby asks to leave Fool out of it, but Leroy says he needs Fool for the plan. He goes, uh, "You don't want your family eating beans on the street, do you?" And you know Leroy says that to Fool, so you know he's going to agree. Fool kind of goes to see his mom in the next room. She tells him to take care of the kids and that he's the man of the house. It's just kind of further sort of giving you motivation for Fool to, to do his thing. I mean, as a kid, you got to figure out, like, what he's going to do in this movie is extreme. you got to set up his motivations. His back is against the wall, basically. Yeah, totally, because Fool's a good kid, and he wants to do the right thing, and but he's got no other choice. Mm-hmm. And... Another, like, like, earlier, where there's this juxtaposition cutting back and forth, but, you know, as Fool's talking to his mom, we cut to woman in Alice's room. Uh, Alice is sitting at a small table. She's eating, like, food very, very properly. Uh, woman makes Alice stand up and try the dress on she's working on um, earlier, and uh, uh, she kind of brushes her hair very violently. I was like, man, that, that looks painful. And Alice is like a, she's like a zombie. Like she doesn't even wince, you know, because no. she's, we don't even want to speak about what's probably been done to her. Well, we can speak. She's been raped probably. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's, it's implied later. Uh, and I mean, beaten, you almost see that. I mean, it's kind of off screen, but it's implied later that she's also sexually abused too. And I don't think any of us had to stretch our imaginations that far to kind of, you know, figure that was happening. But woman kind of takes the the food tray and everything from her, and she's leaving the room, and she realizes the fork is missing. Uh, Alice, you know, all of a sudden her eyes shoot 
wide open and she comes alive. Unlike, you know, you said she looks like a zombie earlier. Now she comes alive with fear. And she's like, oh, it must be on the floor somewhere. And, you know, she's searching around everything on the floor. Obviously, woman knows that, you know, something is, is amiss. Um, but as Alice is searching on the floor over by her bed, there's this uh, event in the wall opens up. A hand comes out and gives her the fork back. Uh, we'll know that that's, you know, Roach later. But right now, you know, when you're watching this movie for the first time, you're like, what the fuck is happening here? You know, and honestly, Jesus, I, I wish I saw this movie for the first time, having never seen the previews, because, you know, back in the 90s, this is when previews pretty much started, like, just showing a shit ton of stuff. And, you know, we knew what was happening. But, man, the setup for this movie is is very intriguing. Very intriguing. And I was like, is that is that the thing from the Adams Family? <laughs> yeah, because it's just a hand. Yeah. A pale hand, too. Man walks in at this point, and he says he's very tense. The The liquor store got robbed. And he's like, oh, I got one of them headaches again. And then woman's, uh, <laughs> woman says Alice has been feeding that thing between the walls again. Alice says she hasn't. Uh, but then we we kind of hear a uh, faint wailing coming from the walls. And uh, basically, man takes off his belt and says, bad girls burn in hell. And this begins, which I find infinitely amusing, that their only curse words are burn in hell. And they say it sometimes so excitedly and sometimes so nonchalantly. Like, hey, Zach, burn in hell. Yeah, sure. Burn in hell. Okay, cool. Burn in hell. Yep. You know, yeah. I, I, I praise love, be praise be. I, I love how easily they throw around burn in hell in this movie. Man, we could devote a whole episode to why I am not a fan of organized religion. But yes. this is a perfect example of why. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is one look of at them. what. Look at. Oh, my God. Look at what people believing in a, a book will do to you. Cause you to have incestual family monsters or something. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Dawson would not want to kiss either of them on the mouth. <laughs> you know, you don't think he'd plant one on woman? I mean, he was a perv, but he wasn't that much of a perv. He, <laughs> he, had, he was a perv, but he had standards. He did have standards. He always would go with the... <clears throat> oh, dude, I loved Richard Dawson, baby. <laughs> I love Richard Dawson, too. People need to relax, because that shit's funny, man. He, was, he, made, he made sleazy classy. <laughs> he sure did, with that sweet Caesar cut. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then Roy, Ray Combs came along and was, like, the perfect guy to, like, Put people down without them even with a big smile on their face. I liked him like too. I liked him shit too. to your face, and they'd be like, "Oh, thank you." What did he just say? He just made fun of your mom. And oh, thank you. And for the record, Family Feud was my favorite game show as a kid, and prob- probably still is. I'm not a huge game show fan, but I love the feud. It's the only one that had uh, they had wrestlers on there. Family Feud, like wrestlers versus good guys versus bad guys. It was amazing. Yeah. WCW. Shit, I love that. The Feud, baby. Rest in peace, Roy Combs. <laughs> yep. Uh, cut to the out. <laughs> cut to the outside uh, suburban street, which is the street that they're on, and. Uh, we know is in South Central. So the house, uh, the people under the ha- stairs house uh, just went up for sale, I think, like a couple of weeks before we started recording this movie. It's just kind of kismet. And uh, so I was like, oh, let me go check it out. I checked out the article and they actually listed the address. So, yeah, it's it's right in South Central. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what it looks like. But uh, when I first when we when I first watched it this time around, 
30 years later, which is crazy. Um, I thought it was uh, Pasadena for some reason. Like, because a lot of homes in Pasadena look like that home, but a lot of homes in South Central, the older homes do look like that home too. It's a very, I don't know what that style is, but it's very unique to Southern California. Well, I mean, just to kind of <laughs> solidify what you're saying, uh, at the time, my note was cut to a Pasadena or Glendale suburb street. So I'm with you. you. I thought it was Pasadena or Glendale as well for every reason you just said. Um, but knowing that, and, and now, you know, because we saw uh, Prince of Darkness, and that house is kind of similar. Uh, what's at the beginning that he was sort of standing on, um, yeah. looking out at the the moon, you know, at the beginning of the movie. And it's it's all that area. It's, it's the same area as, as this is. Yeah. Just dawned on me. So I took a I took a um, sociology class in college, and my professor was a former police sergeant mm. for um, San Carlos PD in Northern California, and he talked about sy- systemic racism in the police force. Okay, and systemic racism all the way down to the planning commissions in East LA and Los Angeles, and he showed maps, uh, planning maps of ghettos south central crenshaw watts and he circled he had all these circles on there and it looked like a barbed wire fence and he goes all these circles are liquor stores and billboards and all of these billboards are owned by tobacco companies and alcohol companies and they surrounded each of south central past uh watts Crenshaw, Boyle Heights, almost like you were like imprisoned, and, and just, in, in, imprisoned, and just being bombarded with advertisement and liquor stores. Yeah, yeah. liquor stores on every single corner. And he's like, if this doesn't scream to you that that they were trying to hold people in and down, I don't know what does. Like, and he spoke about he had a lot of experience being on the police force and 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 seeing both sides of it, faithful cops totally true to the to the badge and then other guys who just like used it as an opportunity to crack skulls and um yeah it's disturbing like this movie really captures that you know on a on a on a on a on a fan uh horror fantasy level which is kind of perfect because you know, good science fiction can kind of teach a lesson that you can't teach otherwise because you can put people in a in a situation that allows you to look at that, you know, uh, idea differently because it's in a sci-fi setting. And you, you horror doesn't, it does, it, you know, it's not known for doing those things as much, but this movie proves that I think you can create a movie, make a genre film like a horror movie, and just embed a very important, you know, piece of information in there for people. And I think it will hit the audience that it needs to hit. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. And 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 on, and to to kind of button that up, I think that is what is best about uh one of our favorite you know medias uh film or mediums i should say film and and like that is when film is the best is when it's entertaining and you're you're learning something even better if you don't even know that you're learning and changing on the inside hey everybody Corey here i just want to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages 
Well, hello there, little black kitties of the night. Come and join me, your host, Deadly Debbie, as we go through my creepy files and listen to real-life, strange-but-true stories from people all over the world. Explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. <laughs> and now, back to the show. So, cut to our Pasadena or Glendale, but South Central Street. <laughs> uh, Leroy and Spencer are driving in a van uh, while Fool, dressed up as a Boy Scout, goes up to the house and cases the joint. He knocks at the front door, but no answer. You kind of see the uh, the mail slot open and then close, and then he hears something scuffling upstairs. But he goes back around uh, the backyard area. It's one of those houses where there's a, the driveway kind of goes all the way up past the house and then sort of keeps going into the back. Um, the backyard is very un- unkempt, but there is a pond back there, like a pond slash pool or something. But it's so overgrown, you kind of can't see where you know the barrier is anymore. Um, woman comes out and sees, uh, see, she sees fool and, uh, fool says he's selling candy for charity. Uh, but woman kind of like, you know, shoes him away. And she goes, Hey kid, what you doing? What you doing kid? Nothing. (laughs) Just, just sure. Just make sure it stays that way. Kid. Kid. Hey kid. That's like Billy Cole. I know. (laughs) Love our Billy Cole, baby. Go listen to our Friday night episode too. (laughs) Um, now we cut back to Fools in the Van with uh, Leroy and Spencer. You know, one of those movies where Spencer's in this movie for all of, like, five minutes, and I really enjoyed that actor the entire time. Yeah, he's good. He's good. He's a good character actor. Yeah. He always stands out in every movie he's in. I think I think that's a testimony to, to a good director when you have, like, just tiny roles that actually are good and, and have a char- and have an actor actually stand out in that role. Yeah, and, and honestly, too, again, with Ving... Uh, you, you see Ving and you're like, this guy's gonna be huge someday. You you watch this movie and he kind he dies in the first like like quarter of it, but yet in my head, I think he's in the movie more than he is, and I think it's because his presence was just so big and and, and just like in a good way. He just he absorbed every bit of energy in every scene that he was in, and you just you wanted to just keep watching him and everything. And this like we said, this is one of his earlier roles, but like. Wow, like I, he's not in the movie that much, but yet he makes such an impression. Yeah, he has only one moment in the movie where he kind of fails, and you're like, okay, well, that's why you're gonna <laughs> yeah. come to the demise. Yeah. You come to. But in that moment, but in that moment, at least he uh, he was thinking about fool in the end, which I kind of liked. But we'll we'll get to that when we get when we get there. Um, yep. Spencer wants to go inside to take a look at the security system. Oh. Uh, Fool does tell them that there are bars on the windows and then padlocks on the outside. Again, that's that was a little so as as much as we kind of think the writing sometimes is a little wonky with with you know with Wes Craven want to hurry up to things. He also does a great job though of he, the house feels like they understand how it works, right? It, it, the, the house kind of never breaks its logic uh, of how it works, and and from the get go. Like they layer in these awesome little things that you kind of miss the first time you watch it, like padlocks being on the outside. Like that's odd. Why would they be on the outside? Why would they be on the outside? Unless they want to keep something in. Bum 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 oh. bum. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. 
Spencer wants to go look at the security system because Fool didn't get a chance to. He doesn't want his scheme to like, you know, so basically they're going to go rob the place on Sunday, but he doesn't want to do it without knowing what kind of security system they're they're facing. He doesn't want to take the chance, basically. So he has a gas company costume that he puts on, goes, walks up to the house, uh, goes, talks to a woman, answers the back door. He asks, you know, he's like, I'm with the, the power company, you know. Uh, she's like, oh, you passed the meters on the way up, about to just dismiss him. Um, he says, oh, but there's one there's one meter inside that I'm pretty sure you don't, you know, you don't know about. No one ever really knows about. But, you know, knowing what we know about the house, woman instantly is like, oh, well, you're full of shit, obviously. You know, but Spencer does say, hey, you know, we don't like to do it, but it it is the law for us to come in and check. I'll have to call the police if, you know, you don't let me in. She's like, oh, no worries. And as he's pulling out his ID that she requests, she sees a skull uh, ring on his finger and informing her. <laughs> I know. I was like, again, now going back to the little bit of a silly writing, like, okay, maybe back in the 90s, if you had a skull ring on your hand, you would be like, okay, it's a little wonky. But nowadays, like, I would fully expect uh, that me guy to have like tattoos on his face and you know like all yeah. kinds of rings and you know it, it it your jewelry and your tattoo are not an indicator of your character unless no. your unless your tattoo says you know fuck everyone i'll kill you all then that, that probably is an indicator of your character no i mean they don't anymore yeah um, but we were so judgmental back then so judgmental and to the point where i mean i was i was embarrassed to showed that I had any piercings in my ears when I would go back to Michigan to visit my family or if I had long hair they'd be like what are you a girl and yeah. I'm like yeah I'm a girl you know like what the fuck is wrong with people man <laughs> I mean if if it isn't already the case I, I mean I'm sure within the next 10 years we'll see like our first senator or congressperson with like full sleeves you know full sleeve tattoos or something like our ge- the generation will get into office and all pretty soon tattoos will be like in government well i mean it, it is isn't it a sad fact that we uh, apparently find it more acceptable that a person who barely got their ged can be a senator uh, yet people with tattoos are still judged uh, yeah. inappropriately. I mean, give me a fucking break. Like, you know, that. so this family <laughs> can burn in hell. It's like burn all those people. Hell. <laughs> Seriously, that, that is some fucked up shit. And that, that's not even fantasy. That's not West Korean fantasy. That's fact. That yeah. The person, the senator, would barely got her GED. Yeah, so. no, no, that is a fact. But, but I do think tattoos are getting a lot more... Like people were okay with them, type of thing, you know. I think they are now. I think they are now, and I think sports actually had a had a big yeah, part in that. Um, yeah, a skull tattoo. I was like, that's tat- nowadays would have bought that shit at Hot Topic. Well, he probably did buy that skull ring at Hot Topic it, when Hot Topic was cool. I know. I before know. it became a Spencer's, whatever they are. Spencer, 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 Spencer. Whoa, whoa, Spencer. Yeah. Spencer. Whoa. <laughs> Bob Cat. <laughs> Babcock Finch. Finch. <laughs> we got there. Um, so, woman, she's like, okay. She she lets him in. And then as she's closing the door, she does like one last peek out the door, which was great. I guarantee you that was either improv or like, you know, just on the spot. It was so, it was perfect. It was hilarious. I loved it. And she's so disturbing looking. Like, her makeup gets progressively worse. And actually, that is one moment in the movie where you're like, 
wait, did they just totally redo her makeup out of the blue? Which they did. It, uh, it, it is a little jarring, but like her eyebrows are like penciled on and makeup kicked on, and she looks very creepy. She's so creepy looking. She is. And her Man first, like, looks pretty normal. He Well, yeah, well, except for like his really 1950s hairstyle and, and like his, his out, you know, his pants that come up to his navel, you know. Well, he kind of dresses true. like a grandpa, but yet he's like, you know, young and in shape sort of. Yeah. Everett McGill carries himself in an old man kind of way. He does. He's always kind of like, he, even when he's younger, he like he walks and acts like an old man. He does, but you know, he's, I guess that's where he's from. He's from the south, so come. I don't know. Mm, I reckon. Just, I'm just. I'm gonna let you morph it into a sling blade. I'm gonna just, turn it. Up. Mm. Just, I'm just gonna sit here and like watch it happen. Mm, I like them flesh eating zombies. Mm. <laughs> Out in the van, fool and Leroy think Spencer is taking the coins for himself, and then they spot woman leaving in her car. I guess. I guess man was in the car too, but you don't really know. You don't really see that at the time. Um, Leroy says they got to go in and find Spencer before he takes all the good stuff for himself. And so he drives the van into the back driveway. I think they should have just left it on the street and walked that over. Was weird. You know? <laughs> that was weird. I'm like, you just got to pull up in but their driveway. Maybe that's why Spencer's the brain of this outfit. And, uh, <laughs> but no, but Leroy's super smart. He put together the fucking treasure map. Like, come on, Leroy, you're but again, smarter than this. I think it's a little bit of WC being like, we got to. Eh, no one's gonna care. Yeah. Eh, no one's gonna care. Well, it, but, it also says it's 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 for what happens with the cops later too, and it sets up that that final thing where they find uh, where woman finds uh, um, the the Boy Scout costume. So I get that it has to be there, but I think they could have parked it in a less conspicuous place and still got to the same conclusion. You know what I mean? They could have parked it in front of the house. Right. Exactly. That would have been a lot less conspicuous. They go around back, and they ring the bell, but there's no response. Leroy breaks the glass to the back room. He kind of goes in. It, it's kind of like a uh, – so the first room that they go into is kind of like a mud room. It's just like a little I, – I think that's actually the technical term for it is mud room. It is. I didn't know that. I think a mud, mud room is like a is an East Coast thing. Uh, yeah. They don't have them on the West Coast, but, yeah, you're right. It's like a mud room. It's like the pre-room. Yeah, because it's not even. Yeah, you still have. There's still another room next, and then and then the main area. It's uh, a take your shoes off before you come in the house room, which yeah. people didn't do back then. Which I highly recommend people do because you don't know what's on the fucking bottom of your shoes. Oh no, you, you you're speaking to the choir, buddy. You you and I both are a shoes off household, and I highly respect that because yes, we've all been in. You know, we've all gone to concerts and, and gone to the bathroom and had our, you know, feet in piss. And, uh, yeah, I'm not walking that into my house or anyone else's house, for that matter. Don't yep. take a blue light to your carpet after you walk in with your shoes on. That's all I'm going to say. That's right, baby. So they're in the mudroom. Fool kind of sees a handmade doll on the ground stuck in a mousetrap. Kind of picks it up, looks at it, eh, you know, puts it back down. Uh, Leroy tries to get past the next door into the house. Fool says they got to stop. You know, it's his 13th birthday, and it could be unlucky. I like what Leroy says here. He goes, 13th. Oh, I can do it. I can do it. 13th birthday. Damn it. 13th birthday is unlucky anyway. (laughs) Too old to get tit. Too young to get ass. You fucked either way. It got better. It got better as I went along. It's pretty good. <laughs> he, mm. he, bra- he breaks down the door. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
You're too young to get dick. <laughs> too young to get tit. Mm, I reckon. I reckon you're fucked either way. But you're old enough to get taters, and I love them taters. Mm. <laughs> Give me that doll that's tapped in that mousetrap. Mm. <laughs> Uh, our anti-hero Leroy breaks the door to the next room, which is kind of like now an old funeral parlor. So, and it's still not like the main part of the house. Um, this house is huge. huge. It is Winchester Mystery House. For those that are not familiar with Winchester Mystery House, I think a shitty movie came out with Helen it Mirren did. about yeah. it. Uh, but it's a real house in San Jose, and it is a mansion of a house. This is not that size. But I think it's the same idea where yeah. it just there's all these hidden rooms, uh, the the architecture goes on and on for days. Check out Winchester Mystery House. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I hate you. Uh, yeah, I'm I think, gonna be doing that all night, baby. I know you will. Yeah, I think um, they they even mentioned that when they first see the house outside, there it goes on for days. But then, uh, so they get through the into the you know they're in that funeral parlor area, which is also cool because that'll sort of come back later. Um, only just it, it's mentioned, and it's, I think it's kind of neat that they actually lay the the groundwork for that here. But to get into the main house, we see an, a huge metal door, and now and it's cool because did you notice that there was even uh, marks on the door as if people had tried tried to pry it open before this yeah metal doors this this takes me back to texas chainsaw massacre Mm -hmm. uh when the guy walks up and gets hit over the head by leatherface it that to me is the most terrifying scene in texas chainsaw massacre and he just shuts that steel door yeah i love i love that scene man yeah just thinking about it gives me chills but it reminded me of that that steel doors are so creepy because it's like you know some bullshit's going on there. Especially steel doors that have clearly been tried to be pried open before. Yes, with scratch <laughs> marks and oh. Yeah. But uh but Leroy seems to be unfazed by this, so he you know, he gets uh started on it and or actually he was already working on it when I did that little awesome impression I just did. Um, yeah, that was that was really good. <laughs> but uh he, he 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 pops it open this time and when it when it opens the shutters also go up as well. So, I mean, right away, you're like, well, that's that's kind of weird, you know. But uh, we do get a lo- an awesome line where Leroy says, I done busted this house, Cherry. It's open right up now. <laughs> All right, it's getting worse as we go I along. I love cherry pie. Mm. <laughs> Uh, now this is cool Leroy's about to walk into the kitchen when a big ass fucking Rottweiler just jumps out at him yeah. and and this is kind of like the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre scenario and I wouldn't even be surprised if Wes Craven was like this was a little bit of like an homage to that um, Fool's kind of yelling at the dog it's attacking Leroy on his arm and everything and uh, I like this a lot because Fool kind of like hey well it's kind of silly he's like your mom sleeps with cats and the dog kind of runs after after Fool but Fool jumps up into the door frame and grabs it and the dog runs under his legs honestly I, I, I will say this. Fool is infinitely smarter than me throughout this entire movie because everything he does is the right thing to do, and I wouldn't have done any of it. I would have died right here. That dog would have just gone right on my nuts, and I would have gone down right here. But Fool, he's smarter than me. 
Yeah, so fools on a, on a D and D scale, fools agility is like a ten. Yeah, it's like a ten. The fools <laughs> lines line delivery is like yeah. a is like a three because he calls it like a fuzzball or something. Yeah. And I'm like, because yeah, like if if I saw a Cujo munching me down, I wouldn't be. Hey, fuzzball! Yeah. And know? I and I think that's where that's why this movie. Like why why Cujo feels more like a horror movie? This feels more like a, an adventure movie with some horror elements because yes. of of stuff like this. I never kind you know I never feel that anyone's ever in danger by the dog, and I think it's also too because of the way they sometimes portray the dog being a little bit silly in this movie. But it, it, again. Like we said at the beginning, this movie has some interesting tonal shifts, but they kind of all work because they keep you on your feet the entire movie. You're like, what? what's going to be coming at me next, essentially? I don't have a problem with the tonal shifts. There are three dramatic tonal shifts in this film, in my opinion. I'm totally okay with them. I'm totally okay with them because this movie overall is good. Yeah. If it if it hadn't, if it, it, if it would have fallen flat on its... It it builds, it ultimately builds to a peak. Yeah. Versus flatlining or dipping, it never dips. It never dips. No, no. I, honestly, it doesn't. You're you're so, right. I mean, the pacing yeah. the pacing on this movie is very fast and very fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would I I, I yeah. The, the runtime is like um a hundred minutes yeah and it's kind of a perfect runtime for this movie agreed agreed I, I wouldn't want it to be any longer and it, it it couldn't be any shorter because like you said at the beginning there are some things they clearly cut and you know i think a, you know a two-hour movie of this ilk would have been a little bit too much to take i think you're right i think like a hundred minutes is just perfect for this yeah um so, so Fool, as the dog runs through his legs, you know, Fool jumps down. <clears throat> they close that door, but the dog's going to easily get through that door. So they kind of go through the metal door and then slam that shut. And I like, and so now they're in the kitchen. And the kitchen has a window where you can sort of look into that funeral parlor. And I like that, you know, I like the fact that they look through the window and they and Wes Craven doesn't do a jump scare of having the dog jump up and bite the like bite at the window, totally expecting that. But no, like it, the dog behaved normal. Like like uh, Leroy's like he's just sitting there, like waiting for us. Like he's trained. That's like I like that. That was that was smart to not have the dog being like rah, 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 like just all of a sudden like a jump scare. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, bring up the 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 problems you have with the tonal shifts, uh, you know, as they as they come at us, and we'll see if we can, uh, you know, figure them out and everything. Um, so now, you know, Leroy, like I said, Leroy and Four in the kitchen. Uh, Fool looking around, he sees a statue of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, one of those, you know, statues. Um, and then they they realize that the cabinets are all locked, and I, I, these all these little things that are just kind of weird. Even Leroy is like, why are the ca-, you know the the cabinets locked? You know, why are the cabinets locked? <laughs> why, why is my so I'm doing Buffalo Bill, you're doing you're doing like Lou Ferrigno, and then we've got Sling Blade. <laughs> We're all over the place. Yeah. You know what? Once man comes into the situation, I will just be doing man quotes. Uh, for the rest you're of good, night. man. I'll just keep doing the. Mm, I reckon you're gonna burn in hell. Mm. <laughs> I'm burning hell. Fool wants <laughs> fool wants to leave, but Leroy wants to find Spencer. Uh, they hear walking upstairs, so Leroy thinks it's Spencer. They kind of walk deeper into the house. 
Fool doesn't want to go upstairs, but Leroy is kind of gives, calls him a you know a girl. You know, give him shit. You know, but uh, tells him to stay downstairs, keep an eye out. You know, so Leroy goes upstairs. Uh, fool fool hears noise from the basement. Kind of goes to investigate. Uh, he sees Spencer's clipboard on the basement stairs and goes down. Uh, Fool then kind of hears someone running in the basement and freaks out, but ultimately decides to kind of go back and investigate. Uh, when he gets to the bottom of the stairs, a string is pulled, and the and the and the the door kind of closes behind him. So you, you actually see the string getting pulled, and then we hear the whisper, some whisper, "Fool." I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, man. Yeah, yeah. Th- a couple things when in this scene. So, so initially when he sees the clipboard, I'm like, no, don't go down into the basement. That's so cliche. But then I'm like, wait, it's 1991. Cliches haven't really been tackled just yet. Because Wes, uh, you know, again, Wes Craven did Scream, which is a classic too. You know, where he he made fun of those cliches. Um, so he goes to yeah, he goes down right. He does his thing. And I like when he says, like, he's about to run back up, but he, but then he even, like, catches himself, like, you know. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. He's he like, says what, He no says bitch. what Leroy kind of made fun of him for type of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I like that because he – that answers that question of, like, well, wait, why is he staying? Well, because he doesn't want to be perceived as a wimp. Um, I get – that totally makes sense. Then – so that erases – the at that point now the cliche has been erased for me makes sense mm-hmm. and then i love that this the stairs collapse because you're like oh shit that's oh not, not yet not we, we we will get to that but this is only okay. with the door getting closed but yeah so yeah the stairs will collapse which is a really cool sort of thing that's that, but that old. you're right the um uh roach pulls the string and well a hand pulls the str- uh, string on yeah. the door to close the door and I love that because they're like, oh, shit. Okay, that was unexpected. So I go, and this is kind of how I felt in the first half of the movie. I go back and forth where I'm like, I'm not, am I Am I into this just yet? Am I like, am I buying this? Am I Because Ving Rhames' character, like Leroy, seems very like loving towards Fool at first. And then when he makes fun of him and, and then I'm like, well, then he's not always being just a straight up dick to him. So I'm, I'm teetering back and forth whether whether I'm like into it or not. But then moments like this happen, I go, okay, yeah, no, that that just erased how I felt about that scene. Right. That that just erased how I felt about this scene. Like that's that's good filmmaking. Yeah. You know. And to your point, the 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 first time I rewatched this. You know, I was kind of like in the moment and I was like, you know, feeling scared for 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 fool and stuff. But when you go through the whole movie and then you rewatch it again, you realize that Roach is trying to save him the whole time that like that you're scared of Roach, but you don't realize that, you know, or I should say fool is kind of scared of Roach. You don't realize that Roach is trying to actually protect him the whole time. And I think that's kind of cool. Yes. Yeah, because because it's one of those things where like repeat viewings informs you and you get a deeper layer of what's going on so yeah and i think i I went through a weird phase with especially with critics in the late 80s early 90s with stuff like this because i was reading way too many reviews on movies and and critics always tore up horror films always and i always appreciated there was a guy peter travers for the rolling stone he still writes reviews i always felt like he was the most balanced when it came to understanding the genre Mm -hmm. and that these movies were made to be watched more than once. Yeah. Because in the second time you got more out of it. Think about how many times you've watched the thing 
and how much you get out of it every single time you watch it. And actually, by the time you listen to Thomas Waits interview and in your Tom G Waits interview and 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 you'll watch it again with a new understanding now know. knowing something that I never knew, you know? So, I guess like this genre bears repeat viewings versus other genres that you watch it once and you're never going to watch it again. And the reason why you watch it again is because you get a certain level of context each time. I I didn't I never even thought of that. I just assumed that we watched these multiple times because we enjoyed them, and we do, but you're right. By design, this genre begs to be watched multiple times, and a good filmmaker like Wes Craven um, will, you know, utilize that. And, like, you know, just because it's like, all right, people are just going to watch horror movies multiple times, so, like, let me at least add some layers and some depth to it. And you watch this whole first act of this movie and I'll, you know, I'll cite some things later. Even Ving Rhames falls, you know, he, he, he falls because, you know, he gets scared by Roach who's trying to protect him the whole time. You know, Eve, the first time I saw this movie, you don't realize it the whole time Roach is trying to protect them. And that's really cool. My biggest hang up is later when, when uh fool gets thrown into the, the den with them, I was unsure whether they were actually going to eat him then or, you know, that, that, that point. But, I do think Roach, at, for throughout the entire film, was trying to help Fool and uh, Leroy to some extent as well. You know, just because yeah. he's probably just doesn't want to see someone else getting killed by by these by the these horrible man and woman. Um, although I will say, you know, Fool walking into the basement here. Uh, I mean, he is a braver man than me. Uh, there's like chains everywhere. You know, he's looking for Spencer. It's it's a very ominous basement. Uh, there's a big furnace there. Uh, and then even like Fool sees people running in the shadows, but he kind of like, and he, he's like Spencer, but really quick he knows it's not Spencer. And he kind of doesn't have a problem like inhabiting this space with other people down there. Do you know what I mean? Like I would have been like the moment I knew that there was another person in there let alone multiple people i would have just screamed with my hands in the air running through the house basically you know yeah but but i guess but i guess this is where we're supposed to lean back into the motivation that that wes craven has set up from the beginning where i mean fool's entire family it's on his shoulders or like, you know, he thinks it's on his shoulders to save his entire family. So, you know, I think this is where, especially the scene, this first time in the basement where fool has to kind of go forward without knowing what's going on. I think you have to understand his motivation going forward. And I think Wes Craven knew that his motivation had to be strong for us to buy the level of danger that he's in to do this. Agreed. Okay, so he, he keeps investigating. He's, like, walking around. He He's kind of, like, calling out for Spencer. Finally, he sees a TV sort of high up on, on a platform, and it's kind of facing into the other room. Uh, you know, it's kind of, like, locked and everything, and, and you don't really know how deep the basement goes, but you can tell that it is divided. And so Fool sees this TV. It's on. It's, like, it's... It's playing through a graded fence type of thing into the the darkened room. Uh, he 
kind of pulls the TV away to look into the room. He's kind of like, you know, squinting, looking into the room. And all of a sudden, he kind of gets hit in the face with like a blast of, of blown dust. I, I guess if, if someone was sort of like sort of standing right in front of him and they just kind of blew like, you know, all that, that dust and crap into his face, you know. And he kind of runs, sort of walk, runs backwards, and then he trips over Spencer's body on the ground. He looks down, and Spencer is ghost white. This is one of the problems I had in the movie. I was like, really? I never, even back in 1991, I never buy people dying from fright in movies. You know, like, it just it's just something I just, I find it hokey, and I don't see how it happens. I guess it's happened before, but, like, knowing what this movie is, what could really have scared Spencer to turn him white like that? Unless I guess maybe he saw one of the, that, you know, that main kid, the, the pale kid, that kid was pretty zombified, but I didn't like that Spencer died from fright. Not when you have the confidence to, to lie your way into someone's house. Correct. You're right. So you got to figure Spencer's a, a guy from the streets. He's seen shit. Yeah. Uh, I think he can handle himself. I guess what I think Wes Craven's doing here is taking the culpability off of the kids under the stairs. Like Spencer's still dead, but they technically didn't kill him, thus maintaining their innocence, basically, even though they were gnawing on his hand. I would have rather have seen him be bludgeoned from the back of the head. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I like agree that, with that you. That easily could have been done. Don't, don't give me the scared, scared to death thing. Yeah. That that's honestly, it's one of my least favorite things of the entire movie is having Spencer like being scared to death. Yeah, but he does have a gold coin in his hand, um, and his other hand is kind of like it's under an opening in the next room. Even though I just said it, it was being eaten on, uh, we don't really know that yet. You know, uh, we hear Roach kind of moaning noises and moving around. Uh, then Spencer's body starts to move and, and sort of get dragged in through the opening. Uh, fool pulls him back and sees that Spencer's hand is kind of chewed up and he turns around to see a hand pull the, the TV back into place. And this is my biggest jump scare. Just then Roach fucking tackles fool like out of midair <laughs> and i was like oh shit i even the second time i watched it having already just seen it the night before i still jumped on that one so yeah me too good good job on that one um they kind of do a little bit of a tussle uh fool breaks free and runs for the basement stairs and door <laughs> all of a sudden as he's going up the stairs uh they they collapse and he slides down sending fool back down into the basement uh roach gets back up and this is freaky like when the light is kind of behind roach and he's you know, he's making all of his noises and everything. And it, it's clearly it's shot where you're supposed to think that Roach is attacking fool and, and going to kill him and everything. But I love the fact because he can't communicate. He's just trying to do whatever he can to fucking rescue this kid. And that's awesome to me. Yeah, no, totally agree. I didn't pick up on that when I was younger. I picked up on that now. Same as you, buddy. I mean, obviously, after like multiple viewings, we knew that Roach was the good guy, but I didn't pick up on on this whole scene is supposed to be him trying to rescue the uh, fool. And I love it because, yeah, he can't talk, so he can't communicate this. Right. And he's just in a bad situation. And also, obviously, also Roach knows that the clock is ticking. You know, a uh, man and woman will be coming back. I got to help this kid now. 
it's yeah it's it's really it's really awesome to be honest with you so like i said roach gets back up and uh and it looks scary um and he kind of going for fool and uh uh chases fool up the sliding stairs and as he's kind of running up the stairs alice opens the door and they kind of like fool and alice lock eyes for a second then alice runs off and then fool goes through the door and slams it on roach behind him and then fool locks the basement door back on the main floor Fool hears a car pull up. He goes out and like looks through the window. He sees man and woman and their dog outside by Leroy's van. Fool runs upstairs to see Leroy lying on the ground with his head in the vent. Okay, first off, Leroy, come on, buddy. You look like you're, I mean, you just look like a sack of shit laying there. And, and Fool even whispers to him like, you know, Leroy. Yeah. He doesn't respond. He doesn't respond. Well, and, and and here is a weird bit of dialogue as well. So Fool touches him. Leroy screams. They both scream. It's a little bit funny. And Le- and Fool's like, I thought you were dead. And Leroy's like, just because a man is lying on the ground doesn't mean he's dead. And it's such a weirdly, like, specifically written line that I thought maybe it was some kind of a foreshadowing to later. But it's not. It's just weird little dialogue. Um, but <laughs> just because your man's lying on the ground doesn't mean he's dead. Mm. <laughs> that hurts. <coughs> How do you do that? That hurt my throat. That was I do. Mm. I don't know. I reckon I've been doing it for a long time now. I had to drink beer <laughs> to, to make it better. Sometimes beer. I drink beer and make me feel much better. Mm. Beer makes everything better. The, it sure does. Mm. The cause of and solution to all our problems. Um, and taters. And taters. Mm. <laughs> I love me taters. Mm. People under the stairs. Fool says that the lady and the man are back outside. He also found Spencer dead. He's like, are you sure he's dead? He's like, you thought he was white before. You know, it's a little funny lines here and there. Uh, Leroy. Yeah, I will. And I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean I, I'm just to cut you off really quick. I think that's that's what allowed me to not roll my eyes and go, oh, come on. Because it is funny. Like the some of the scenes that are just kind of preposterous, you just the dialogue is really funny. Yeah. And that's what makes it good. Otherwise, if it wasn't funny, it would have been like, that's stupid. And it's also the way the delivery is really good too. And uh, yes. And then there is clearly obvious chemistry between Ving Rhames and uh, the guy playing fool. I I just forgot his name. And the, the the young kid playing fool is great delivering his lines. So, and I think it also works too, because here, you know, Leroy says, Oh, you know, I thought I heard something in the walls. He's like, why don't you go in and check it out? And I love how fool's like, man, I came up here to fucking save your ass. And you know, and, and you want me to fucking go in the, in the walls for you. Like, I like that. I like, he's like, dude, I was here to fucking save you, dude. And I think this is this this to me was the first jarring tonal shift. So it goes from being pretty dark and creepy and like desperate to suddenly kind of wacky and a little kooky hmm. up until this point. Okay. That was the moment. That was the moment for me is when the dialogue, when they're kind of talking shit back and forth to each other, where you're like, you guys are you do realize Shit's going to hit the fan. Earlier when they meet the dog for the first time, the the tone was still really dark and desperate. Yeah. And then suddenly now it's getting a little more silly. And it is like tongue in, not silly, but tongue in cheek. And, um, and, 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 and it, there's some, there's a lot of tongue in cheek humor throughout this. That's very subtle 
from this point on, I think. Yeah, and and like you said, like one the right now, you know, he says like something like, "Yeah, I found Spencer. You know, he's white as a ghost, or something like that." And he was like, "You sure he's dead?" And he's like, "Well, if you thought he was white before, and yeah, it yeah. it was a very it was it." it this movie sometimes, even though weirdly, weirdly, this movie feels very contemporary in 2021, but there are some dialogue tropes in this movie that feel very much of the the early 90s time frame. Yeah, but I'm okay with that. Like, I, I'm okay with um, that tonal shift now. Back in 1991, I don't think I was. Back in 91, I was like, wait, no, no, this is supposed to be a straight-up dark like the movie um, that we saw at the in the theater a couple years ago, where the guy was blind, um, and oh, and oh, in oh, Detroit. yeah, uh, don't breathe, don't breathe, don't yeah. breathe. That tone throughout the whole movie doesn't change. Yeah, right. Correct, it correct. is it is overwhelmingly it's, it's dark and bleak. Uh, I love that movie, by the way. Mm-hmm. I remember we saw that and we liked it. Yeah, we, we all loved it. Yeah, we were like, holy shit, this is intense. But that's the difference between that's two thousand. 20 this is 1991 1991 was we like well we got to have these light moments otherwise yeah. it's too intense yeah yeah because back in the 90s they were like we can't have an entire movie have be peak intensity but because of escalation like just as a species we just need things to escalate you know in order for to get our jollies to yeah now we're in 2021 where you can have an entire movie just be peak horribleness the entire time with no reprieve at all i mean look at like something like hereditary there's like there is no reprieve in that movie none the only movie i can think of the only movies i can think of that have done that recently are like your next yeah the guest where they have these moments where you're like oh but overall most movies are pretty dark and bleak nowadays yeah and in the 90s we're like yeah, but we got We don't want to make it too dark, and I think it's because they wanted they want the audience a more accessible audience, right? So they they want to reach more people. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that just popped in my head. I'm like, oh yeah, don't breathe, don't breathe. Is actually would be a nice companion to this. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we could probably maybe even say a sort of a spiritual successor to this. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And, and, and dude, yeah, don't breathe. It's a great fucking movie. I only saw it that one time with you. Uh, same as the uh, Evil Dead remake. And, I like that uh, and, remake. And, me too. And just like just within the last like couple months, I've been just really dying to rewatch that Evil Dead remake again. Oh, but you so know what? Good. Not gonna lie, throw a throw don't breathe on there as well. I would definitely rewatch that also. They're making a sequel to Don't Breathe. Nice. That's cool. That's really cool. They, um, as in whoever the fuck they are. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, but mm, here they. Back in the movie. Mm. <laughs> I was gonna say here they are. Leroy and Fool, <laughs> and they run. <laughs> they run downstairs and see man and woman at the back door. Uh, obviously, man and woman know <laughs> shit's going wrong. Uh, they go for the front door, and as soon as Fool grabs the door <laughs> this handle, is hilarious. He gets electrocuted <laughs> and like flies back like two fucking feet. I love that Leroy <laughs> doesn't even fucking flinch. Leroy goes right for the windows to try to break them, but they're you know they're 
shatterproof. I was like, that's hilarious. I thought that was funny. Um, man is kind of trying to pry the door open just enough for the dog to get through. Of course, woman's yelling, go sick him, Prince. Uh, the dog's name is Prince, by the way. Leroy tells Fool to kind of stand as bait for the dog so that he can kind of smack the dog, hit the dog, right? But here's the thing. Leroy hides behind a couch that's behind Fool. I would have, if I were Leroy, I would have stood right at that doorway area, the entrance, have Fool, like, so the dog just walks right up and sees Fool right there, and then you hit the dog. But, <laughs> you know, okay, Leroy, not, he's not good at thinking on his feet, I don't think. But, um, so, dog runs around the corner, sees Fool there. I love how the dog's like, you're not the one I want. <laughs> you're not the one I'm going for. And he just looks at him, and even Fool's like, uh, what do we do now? And uh, Leroy pops his head up, see what's going on, and the dog just kind of springs right on him. And uh, he's going right for his arm, doing that whole thing. And our, our boy genius, our Fool genius, he gets the bright idea of, as Leroy's getting fucking just mauled, by this dog to drag fucking Leroy and the dog over to the door and then so Fool puts his hand on the doorknob and electrocutes all three of them again Corey at that age would not have thought to do that at all but it's it's great fucking they all go flying even the dog goes flying this is one of those tonal shifts thing because when the dog lands it like gurgles it's the dog is very funny in this movie yeah, it's a really silly, silly scene. It's like almost Home Alone-esque. It, it is. You know? It's it's a dark Home Alone right here. Yeah, and 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 you just you have to laugh because it's it's so absurd. Yeah. It's so and there's the and and there's a moment where Fool like hops over the table before this happens. Yeah, earlier. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, when he could have just walked around the table, but he no, had to dude. hop over the table. I'm like, sure. No, sure, dude, no, okay. no, that was the right choice right there. That was the right it choice. It was like a good old boy like, a hazard slide. I liked <laughs> it. was impressive, dude. I, I should I do remember it. I should have mentioned it. But yeah. Fool's got like, some moves. He's got some moves. It's it's really cool. Shit, the uh, way he shimmies up a uh uh chimney later on in the movie is or or down sick. the chimney when or it's sped, when, chimney. when it's sped up Mad Max footage. <laughs> yeah, and you can see the wire holding them too. It's great. I don't care. I love this movie. Uh, so now Fool and Leroy are better, like on their feet. Uh they're running for the second floor. Man kind of breaks through the door in the kitchen. Uh Fool and Leroy tr- uh, try to get out the second floor, second story window, but they're they're also shatterproof. All of them are shatterproof. Uh they run back into the hallway and look at the stairs they see man is kind of like loading his big ass pistol uh leroy's like you see the size of the holes those things are punching the caliber you know he's like he's basically saying we're fucked with that guy's gun right there um leroy runs into a closet and then fool kind of tries to follow him leroy pushes him out he's like not enough room for both of them you know that's the moment that's the moment to me where i'm like okay now you're gonna die because Yeah, that you just fucked yourself. You know, earlier you did it because you wanted to take out the dog, but now you're just straight up selfish. That to me was that was kind of weak. Like, well, and it's interesting because in a second we're gonna find out. You know, he tells Fool to run when he gets gunned down, which I thought was nice. You know what I mean? And and maybe that's his redeeming moment in his dying breath. But right here, you're like, oh man, Leroy, don't be a dick. But hey, you know what? He's 
you know, he's a character, obviously, he's a written character, he's fake, but he's supposed to be human, and he's flawed, and he's scared, and he's maybe not the best, you know, uh, fucking, maybe he's not the best father figure in the world, but, you know, I, I yeah, I, I'm with you, dude, I'm with you, I almost, I, I kind of wish that Leroy didn't have this moment. Me too, me too, I wouldn't have done it, I would, I would have been like, and, and I think it's because we like Ving Rhames so much, you know. We want to, we want to like, we want to like Leroy perfectly, you know what I mean. We want to like him all the way. Whereas the way he is, you're kind of like you sort of like him. You sort of like see that he's a dick, you know. I yeah. Even if he like, even if he went in the closet and he says, you know, you you go down further, and when he jumps out, I'll I'll go from behind and grab him, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Like that would have made more sense. And right. then he never got a chance to do that. You know, uh, like that to me would have been a better choice, but I didn't make the movie. So bada bang, bada boom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But no, you're right. I actually like your scenario better and it would re it would, it would. Yeah. I like your scenario better. Um, but yeah, but here the dialogue is not enough room and he pushes full out. Not enough room. Get out of there. My belly's too big. Mm. (laughs) As Leroy pushes full out into the hallway, uh, we see man hits the switch on on this like, uh, what a control panel? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. That's the right word. Yeah. A control panel. We'll we'll see more of it later. Uh, it's basically it's what runs. It's the security control panel for the entire house. And man hits a switch. All the doors, all of them, close automatically and lock. I believe shutters go down too and stuff like that. It's just like the whole house basically becomes a fortress. And Fool is stuck out in the open in the hallway. Uh, the lights also go out. Uh, man runs upstairs with his pistol. And Fool kind of hides around a corner, but it's 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 kind of like a dead end. It looks like it could go to, like, another hallway, but it just it just ends. And there's kind of, like, only about two feet of room, just enough for Fool to sort of sit there with his legs sort of pulled up, you know. In the closet, we see, like, Leroy's kind of, like, hear something from behind. And all of a sudden, the... Like the back of the closet just opens up and then Roach just comes out like reaching for him, you know, totally scaring the shit out of Leroy. And again, you know, we're still supposed to think that, you know, that Roach is probably the bad guy or whatever. But, you know, no watching the movie, Roach was trying to actually save him, which is is sad that what happens and uh so Leroy scared as shit runs out of the closet and I love the fact that Leroy actually closed the closet but man is there man's right there so he runs out of the closet kind of behind man man turns around everything is dark and man's got a light on his gun and he kind of aims it right at Leroy and just starts plugging him you know and this is when as he's getting like you know shot this is when Leroy yells out uh you know run fool and then his body kind of hits the ground and sort of like rolls rolls down the stairs you know and man starts like dancing and everything and and you know with his with with his wife with woman and he goes did you hear what he called me and she's like he called you a fool so now we know that that they the man didn't realize that leroy was talking to another person he was he thought he was talking to him right because like who's gonna name their kid fool right or like why would another person's be named fool but it's a little bit of dialogue to tell us that man and woman don't know that poindexter is actually still in the house yeah i like that that was smart yeah and it, and that's also something i didn't pick i actually that's something i didn't quite pick up on until i watched it with subtitles oh really yeah thank god for subtitles by the way 
thank God for God bless subtitles. So Fool is kind of looking at man and woman downstairs as they're you know, dancing over poor Leroy's dead body. And uh, he kind of goes back into the hallway. And when he does, he sees another homemade doll on the ground. Uh, the doll has a string attached to the back of it. And it's also holding a lit candle. When Fool gets up to the doll, it starts getting dragged away and through a vent. Fool follows the doll into the walls of the house. He kind of goes through the vent and discovers, like, right when he goes in there, he sees, like, a freaking full-on human ribcage on the ground and does not freak out as much as I would if I had seen that, probably. <laughs> yeah, he, his, his reaction is a little underwhelming. But then again, he did just see uh, Leroy get gunned down. He's probably in shock at this point. Yeah, probably. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> he probably saw that rib cage and was like, you know what? We're going to file that one for the psychologist later. I'm not even going to worry about it right now. <laughs> I got my cherry busted when I was 13 when I saw everybody around me get gunned down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did we get to Sling Blade just out of curiosity? I don't know, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> Any opportunity for me to. I had a voice director once say, you know, that you're never going to be able to use that anywhere. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'll find a way to use it somehow. Mm-hmm. You proved him wrong, buddy. I reckon you can shove that up your ass. Mm-hmm. I, I reckon you can burn in hell. Yep. Give me some papers. <laughs> yep. Go along with that rib cage. Mm. Like they got a Jimmy Jones. Mm-hmm. All right, so after the rib cage, he sees Alice on the other side of the wall kind of pulling the the doll through, but she's not in the wall. She's kind of in another room kind of on the other side. Uh, Fool follows her further into the wall. Man sticks his head and his arm through the through the, the vent, and, you know, he's kind of yelling. He's like, I see you. I'll stick the dog on you and start shooting and everything, and he just doesn't give a shit. Uh, but Fool exits from the in, – from the wall into the hallway on the other side. Uh, he's kind of running, full kind of run around trying to, you know, all the doors are locked and everything. Uh, he finally gets to a door that's in the, that goes to the bathroom. Um, he opens it up and just Alice is sort of standing there with her doll. Full introduces himself to her. He asks, he asks her if she's seen, or basically he's like, he's like, you know, have you ever been outside? He kind of has this whole conversation with her. Um, and he's like, you never see a, a brother before? And she's like, I don't have any brother. He's like a black dude before in the neighborhood. And you find out that like through this dialogue that she's never even been outside the house and she's like well that's out there and this is in here so yeah that was like it and it's what it's it's cool because it's it's one of those things where she's like she doesn't say i've never stepped foot out of the house it's just through the dialogue you realize that she hasn't yeah 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 and it just dawned on me a couple things so yeah she she talks about how she's never been out of the house but um one update if they ever did heaven forbid remake this film man would have silencers on all his weapons mm-hmm. on all, and, and that would that would be make so much sense yeah so much sense um that would be a great add-on to this movie I like that, buddy. I like that. Like, especially yeah. with the shotgun having a silencer on it and oh, everything. Yeah. 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 That'd be cool, dude. Yeah, you're right. Because because I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how fucking insulated their house is. You're still going to hear those loud ass yeah. blasting shots. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, at this point, I think we're assuming that the house is completely soundproof. And in a few minutes, we'll we'll actually see that when, when police arrive. 
But how soundproof can a house be with a shotgun firing? It's like you're yeah, gonna hear on. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. I think that that would be a really cool thing to to really think about what his arsenal would be in the house. And also, too, uh, we only see that one trap later that he puts up with the blades. I would like to have seen more of of his traps versus you know Roach's trap. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. And those traps were not silenced either, by the no, way. No, 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 not at all. Uh, but Fool says he's getting out, even though she's never been out there. Alice says people have tried. And he's like, uh, you mean the people in the, the cellar? Uh, Alice says that mommy and daddy looked a long time for the perfect boy child, but each one turned out bad. <laughs> some some saw things they weren't supposed to. Others, you know, heard too much. Others talked back. Daddy cut out the bad parts and put them in the cellar. Uh, Fool wonders why, you know, she hasn't been put in the cellar, and it's because she doesn't hear, speak, or see evil. Uh, it's the only way to survive. Um, we hear Roach kind of yelling in the walls. Alice says that's Roach, and uh, Daddy hates Roach because he got out of the basement and into the walls. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. All of a sudden, a uh, man walks out of a hidden passage because, like, so you're like hearing this wailing and everything, and then the camera's kind of like, like in the hallway, dollying forward, and man just kind of like walks out of this hidden package passage, and he's like wearing his full gimp outfit, and he has a shotgun, and he starts yelling and firing at the walls and just kind of hunting and everything. Now, this is the first time we're seeing the gimp costume. What is your take on it? Oh man. <laughs> Like initially, I wanted him to look cool, and then I'm like, "No, this is so, it's so S and M. It's so gimpy. It's so like, I when I see that outfit, I think of the gimp from Pulp Fiction, like little bitch being in a cage. You know, I don't look at. It's intimidating. It's scary. It's creepy as fuck. He's clearly into like some, you know, S and M shit. Uh. It's not in, it's not intimidating to me. It's more like you're going to get your ass handed to you later. Hmm. Interesting cuz that's, that's I, my take. I I think it's kind of cool. I I okay. never I never liked all the hooks on it because I yeah, thought he would I thought that All right, so I look at it from a practical standpoint. Yeah. Leather won't rip, it won't tear, so he can maybe move through the walls and kind of hunt with, you know, hunt roach. It provides a bit of protection. Okay. But clearly it's a sexual thing, and if yes. you were going to go with like it being protection and for you to move through the walls or something, you wouldn't want all those hooks because then they could, they would get hooked on something. Um, so I, I think it's a, I always thought it was an interesting design choice in my head. I compartmentalized it by saying that it was like sort of armor, you know, but at the end of the day, and it probably because I just, I love the man character so much. Like I love to hate him, you know, like I don't love him, but you know what I mean? Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, I think it's he's probably getting aroused by what's happening right now, and I think it's probably 42-year-old me realizes it's much more sexual than, you know, like 12-year-old, 13-year-old Corey thought it was more armor. I realize now it's probably more of an erotic thing for him. And I think and I I think I knew that it was sexual when I saw it in 91, and I didn't want it to be. You know, I want it. I don't want this. I don't want anything sexual right here. Look, look, I got my brother already exposing me to things that I don't want to see. 
come on, can I just have one movie where <laughs> I, I don't have to be exposed to that? <laughs> it, it, it exposed to something like just in, like crazy sexual, like something you sh- you neither you nor I should be contemplating at that age. Yeah, and I think probably my brother was like, you know what that is? And I'm like, I don't want to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Please let me maintain my innocence for just a little bit longer. Can I go home and play with my G.I. Joes now, please? <laughs> but yeah, so man is kind of like at this point, clearly he doesn't give a shit about about his house. Like he will just shoot the shit out of it, you know, while he's, he's hunting. blasting the shit out of his house. And I'm like, come on now. He doesn't really? give a shit. He's no. he is he wants to kill Roach. Uh, Alec, Alex, Alice tells Fool they have to go into the walls via hidden hidden passage in the cupboard. Uh, of course, Fool doesn't want to to do that. And uh, uh, you know, but I I like how Alice says you know he's like I want to get out of here. And Alice says sometimes you have to go in to get out. And I, I like that. That, that was, that was kind line. of a cool thing. And yeah. uh, and it, and it, again, it pertains. I think it, it pertains to his um, his tarot card reading where he has to basically walk through fire in order to get out of there. But right now he doesn't want to do that. Mm, you come out with your man parts and you leave you leave your boy parts behind. Mm. You come out with no penis. Mm. <laughs> um, fool. Fool. I'm against circumcision, by the way. I'm totally okay. Well, this 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 episode is going in directions that. Uh, <laughs> I never thought possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Fool kind of tries to get, you know, run into the hallway while man's in another room, but he kind of jumps back out and then Fool has to kind of go back into the bathroom. And then in, in the bathroom, Alice is gone and Fool can't kind of find how to open the secret door. And when man is about to open the, the bathroom door to get to Fool, Roach starts taunting him through the wall. So Roach, you know, obviously had probably eyes on on man and was like, oh, shit, he's about to go for fool. So he kind of starts taunting him. Downstairs, woman is feeding the dog Spencer's hand when the cops show up uh, and start checking the the Leroy's van outside. Uh, Real quick, um, bit of trivia. Apparently, um, was what's her name? Uh, Wendy Roby. Um, The dog uh, was chewing on that during the scene, and she noticed that, I guess I guess it was maybe in the hand or something, but there was a piece of wire that it gotten a hold of, and it was starting to chew on the wire. And without like while the scene probably while that take was still happening or whatever, she just immediately just reached into the dog's mouth and just grabbed it out of there. Ooh, Every, everyone was like, "Oh shit! What, like, what are you doing?" Like, even Wes Craven was like, "Oh my god!" You know, she. I think she literally saved that dog's life probably because it was about to eat that metal wire. I'm the I'm the sweetest creepy woman on the planet. I know, I know. It's so weird. She plays such a crazy, crazy bitch. Oh, Miss Roby. <laughs> uh, I hope we talk to her one day. That'd be really cool. Um, it could happen. It could. It could. Definitely could. Uh, woman gets on that. Uh, it, there's an intercom system also attached to that security system, and she's like, uh, "Daddy, police out back." And at this point, at this point, we just have to buy the fact that the house is completely soundproof. Just it's fully soundproof. So, and then you know, obviously, Wes Craven doesn't go in to show you how it it's done, but we just have to buy it as an audience suspension yeah. of disbelief. I, I yeah, and you th- that's exactly it. Suspension of disbelief yeah. throughout this whole thing. And, and I like when, when man is like, oh, crap. And he's like, he's kind of like slinks off, you know, and he's like, oh, you know. <laughs> well, he, he reminds me of the guy that's like 
jerking off or yeah. and, and he's about to get caught and he yeah. like kind of slinks away like oh, oh, i'm not doing anything doing the walk where you're like trying to cover your private parts well yeah it's it's funny your because pants like your he's still on the second floor and and you know the cops are clearly not there but he's so startled by it and and it's funny to see him in that outfit being as silly as that is so <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> yeah um so man stops uh shooting and 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 fool looks looks out the window and he sees the cops he starts banging on the windows like hey you know i'm up here but then they, we see we see a camera angle from outside and you know you hear that there's just no sound woman goes to greet the cops they ask if it's her van and the man comes out too woman says the van was there when they got home uh and the police say it was used in a liquor store robbery the other night that kind of clues man and woman into something uh the cops you know kind of like okay we'll leave you to it we're gonna go check the neighborhood keep all the windows locked you know there's even a part where they're like you want us to check inside she's like oh no we checked under all the beds and everything you know so you know the and of course it's just because you know it's they the cops are so easily dismissed because a man and woman are white that's that's the point Wes craven is making here the it's white privilege you know totally yeah and he 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 hammers it home. It's very obvious mm-hmm. the the follow-up later on in the movie is even worse. Uh, but yeah, it just shows you what you can get away with based on the color of your skin. And I, I love how the cops, when they drive off, man says, I hope you catch them, catch them in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I don't know. You better love it. Um, but this is interesting. Woman, finds the Boy Scout uniform, and knows someone else is in the house. Did you notice that man sniffs the pants of the Boy Scout uniform? Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, like a real big whiff of it. He's like, mm. I mean, Everett uh, uh, McGill is just awesome as, he as chews. man. He's chewing up the scenery. He, just, he is just destroying the scenery, dude. But he takes a big old whiff of that. And, and now, But now they know. Now they know that someone's in there. Woman says, he's in there with our little angel. And it's cool because right when she says that, there's a shot of just Fool is now just running through the hallway towards the, the hole in the wall that he came kind of came through earlier. He gets halfway in and sees the dog on the other side coming at him. This is probably when you were like, they, they might have cut something because it kind of just does jump right now to the chase, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I- and there were no deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, right? No, no, not that I, not that I saw, and, and not that I could really even. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even be surprised if this is how it was written. I think, I think Wes Craven just probably just cut to the chase on a lot of this shit. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, he sees the the dog coming at him, and he uh, he kind of like goes back through the hole and then the dog tries to come through back through that vent full sort of delays him by like kind of stopping him you know come through but the dog is pretty strong so there's only so long that he can actually do that so he kind of lets go of trying to stop him the dog in the vent runs back toward the towards the bathroom with the dog on his tail and i love how he when he goes through the door the dog's like trying to go through the door with him fucking fool punches the dog right in the face it's, i love that i love it fool's I, got a couple punches that are that are he, great he does he does because yeah fool Fool, he is the audience in this movie, and he he gives the audience what we want in this movie. He ain't no fool. 
He ain't no fool, baby. Man is not in his his gimp outfit, but he's just sort of in his his regular clothes, you know. But he's outside the door. He shoots through it uh, with his shotgun. And fools on the other side. We see him pick up the the lid of the the toilet. And as man sticks his head through, he looks up and sees fool just fucking brings the thing right down on his head. And I this pretty much kicks off the abuse that man gets throughout this entire film. But it's it's so good, dude. Like, when do you ever see a villain get this abused throughout the entire film, essentially? In a horror film? Yeah, it's, it's Home Alone. And, 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 and the fact that, like, that man gets this abused in the film, and yet you still find him to be scary, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, it's, man, this could have gone just so wrong as far as, like, like tone. Like, like Wes Craven could have completely lost control of this film totally and it could have just turned into something silly you know oh totally i absolutely agree i i this just triggered a memory in me one one being the movie the collector which mm-hmm. uh which was more on the 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 protagonist was the one who was getting tortured throughout the thing yeah. but he eventually escapes i love uh, that but movie. then I love that movie, but I actually love the sequel mm. more, the yeah. collection, yeah. where it's the roles are reversed, and and the good guy is like getting his revenge in a way on you know, and and I I love the collection, and this reminded me a little bit of that where, you know, the 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 bad the bad guy's getting his ass handed to him, he's he's not getting away with everything, he's still devious and he. And man is still able to get away with some pretty ruthless shit. But there are moments like this where you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they pepper him in, you know. And I think that – I think the fact that there are so many moments where where Fool really gets the upper hand on man is why I kind of lean towards this being like almost almost in the same category as Return of the Living Dead Part Two, a little like a, a kid adventure film with real threats. You know, like there is a real threat. You know, the kid can die, but ultimately, you know, obviously he's not going to. You know. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I reckon. I reckon he got good with that toilet tape. Mm. I would like to see him give him a swirly. Mm. <laughs> man gets back up and comes through the door, but right when you know man gets through the door, Roach bursts open this like fake medicine cabinet type of thing, um, like a secret compartment. He just bursts it open. You see, you kind of see Roach for the first time in all of his glory. He grabs Fool and kind of. Sp- sucks him into the the you know into the the walls uh and closes it on man man like kind of like goes up to the secret compartment and he's trying to figure out how the fuck to open it because he he then he opens the the medicine cabinet and you know behind it is just the wall so he's like well fine he's going crazy so he just decides to shoot through through the the walls you know but basically blow it open and this is one of my literally one of my favorite scenes in the entire fucking movie. Man sticks his head through there and the camera's kind of like in the walls looking at him and he yells, "Gonna kill you!" And then fucking Roach pops out with a slingshot, hits him in the head, and he yeah. goes, Arr! He like fucking grunts and like falls down." Again, it is very funny. Yeah, it's my favorite scene. But for some reason, it never takes away from Man. I love seeing man get fucked up. And maybe it's because Everett McGill is just, I mean, 
I know he plays a lot of bad guys and a lot of weirdos, but he can actually be pretty funny and do some funny shit, man. That Maybe he missed his calling or something. I don't know, but I like him when he's silly in this movie. Oh, it's great. It's so wacky. Yeah, it's I love wacky. It too. Yeah. And he, boy, does he get abused. Um, but then, uh, of course, man sends, sends Prince into the wall after Roach, Roach and Fool. Uh, Roach is kind of like leading Fool through the maze. Uh, and by the way, real quick, uh, I, I meant to say it in dialogue-wise, Alice mentions that daddy man, you know, Everett McGill. Um, he won't go into the walls because he's afraid of what's in there. So that so that that's just why you know like why he never physically goes in there himself. But he sends the dog in basically basically after them. Um, but now so Roach is kind of like leading full through the maze because they can't go side by side. It's only enough room for them to go sort of front to back and fools in the front. And then Roach is kind of like pushing him, leading him through. And you kind of actually see Roach's room for a quick second. There's some like lights in there and stuff. I was like, ah, that room looks kind of cozy. It would have been a really cool uh, hideout to, to have yeah. as a kid, you know, not not as my room, but as a hideout, that would have been pretty fucking rad. You know, hideout where you're avoiding someone who wants to uh sodomize you yeah 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 way way to way to take my fun fantasy and make it horrible thank you you're welcome (laughs) so roach finally kind of leads fool to this spot and drops the the doll on the ground um you can tell there's something on the ground you're just not sure what it is uh they kind of stand there waiting for prince to come the dog the dog stops on this little platform to kind of bite or take the the doll and roach pulls a lever and the dog goes sliding down like a ramp and he, and i love how like woman and man can hear the dog going through the, through the like the walls and he eventually comes out in the kitchen, basically, this slide goes into the back of a Tupperware cabinet on the ground, right? And then it, a dog bursts through. It's really funny because he's just sitting there and, you know, he has his little dog, you know, moment. But I love just the look of just shock and awe on man and woman's face when they yeah, see it's this. Great. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's it's a very it's another comical moment. It's a very you know type yeah. of moment, you know. Uh, but it's cool. I do I do like it. And then that's when the the woman's um uh woman's like the boy's gotten to Alice. Um, Roach and and Fool exit the vent in Alice's room. Uh, if I were them, I would not have gone into Alice's room because I would have assumed that would be the first place uh, someone would come looking for me. Yep. Yeah, that was not smart. Nope. Um, Fool tells Roach thanks. Uh, Alice says Roach can't talk because man cut out his tongue, and then we see that. Uh, He did it it when uh, Roach was trying to call for help. It's a cool cool moment because you get to see, like, a special effects moment. The tongue is disgusting looking. Oh, God. Roach is like... (laughs) But, you know. He's yeah. happy about it. He's got a big smile on his face. He does. Well, he's, yeah, he's talking to somebody. You Actually, know? his teeth get cleaner as the movie goes on, too, believe it or not. <laughs> there is one pet peeve that I have very later. Um, it, my pet peeve is when you give somebody, like, zombie makeup, but then you cut their shirt up, and then you see their stomach or something, and you see there's no makeup on their stomach, and yeah. their, their, you know, their body is just fully normal skin tone you know there's a couple of those moments later with the 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 kids when they when they finally like break out and everything 
Yeah, and I think, you know, honestly, like if you look back at Wes Craven has had pretty, I guess you would consider this a semi-low budget film. But come on, man, like, you know, continuity. Continuity is always an issue for me. Even you can have a low budget movie, super low budge, and still have perfect continuity. You know, have someone on set. Yeah, Like just making sure. Yeah. Well, I, I, although I do think that that is coincides with the budget. I mean, everything, everything trickles down, you know, how much time you have for hair and makeup, how much time you have for setup to the shots, how many takes you can take. I mean, for $6 million, this is a very ambitious movie. Like there's a lot of stuff in this film. Now I'm sure obviously a lot of it was shot on sets on the inside. That's easy, you know, fairly easy to do, but I mean, $6 million, like that's not a lot of money. No, that's impressive. Yeah. You know, un- unlike Cyborg. <laughs> Fuck you, Cyborg. <laughs> burn in hell, Cyborg. Burn. You know what? Cyborg I'm can burn I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> all, these, uh, all these screamings make my, <laughs> make my throat. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to talk tomorrow. Make you, by the time we're done with this, you're going to sound just like me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not even going to be able to try. It's just going to happen. All these people on, on, online are going to be like, ah, that's a great Sling Blade voice. <laughs> or they're going to be like, why was he doing Sling Blade voice through the whole thing? Because mm, you're like, do Sling Blade voice. <laughs> well, if, you're one, if you fall into the category of the latter, I'm with you. <laughs> but I love it, so it's both categories. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh no! Don't don't be sorry, buddy. Don't be mm. sorry. You know what? I I always respect somebody who commit to the bit. <laughs> commit. Mm. Commit to the bit. There you go. Uh, Fool finds Alice's homemade dolls, uh, and she says one is for all the burglars that have died there, and not just burglars, like uh, maintenance people who've checked on the house, just people who saw too much. And of course, you saw a lot of a lot of dolls, so you know that a lot of people have died there, which is a cool effect. Like it was a good way of showing it without having to show it, you know. And then. Completely expected, man burst through the door with a shotgun. I'm like, even back then, I was like, come on, guys. Well, come two things. On. One, I'm like, how the hell did you whip up a costume or a doll of Leroy that yeah. fast? Yeah. That was pretty impressive. And yeah, and two, with the shotgun bursting through, I'm like, whoa, okay, come on. Yeah. Yeah, and because I think the very first doll was Spencer uh, on on the the trap. I think it was supposed to be yeah. Spencer, and yeah, that's another thing. It's like she, so she fucking made that doll in like five minutes, essentially, and gave it to get, Roach, and the Roach took it downstairs. You know what I mean? Get her on Project Runway. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Project Designers, Runway. we've got someone over here who's been inside a house her entire life. Hmm. Tim Gunn. <laughs> no, for all you got, Tim Gunn fans. No, out there. I got it. Trust me. Designers. I got it. <laughs> she her parents molested her. Designers. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is all over the place. Mm. Tim Gunn. Mm, designers. <laughs> Sorry. You don't make you it, you're mm, like make it work. Mm. <laughs> You're like Manny faces trying to figure out which one to land on. <laughs> yeah. One is Sling Blade. One is Zach. One is Tim Gunn. Uh, is it was it Tim Gunn or James Gunn? Tim Gunn. is the, Tim Gunn. Yeah, yeah. Make it work, man. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. 
Uh, all right, so man, mm. man bursts in with a shotgun. Uh, <laughs> Fool tries to fight it while Roach goes back into the wall, but man kind of shoots through the wall, and we see that it kind of hits, hits Roach. You can tell that he survives it, though, and kind of moves further into the walls, but you you know he got hit. Uh, woman now runs in and says, it's time for spring cleaning. Fall cleaning. <laughs> Jesus. I know, it's is crazy. It, is this the moment when her makeup totally changed? I, you I know, think I think, I think, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they do it on purpose over time and make her makeup like more and more crazy just to kind of have it, you know, be representational of what's going on in her head. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was deranged looking. And, you know, watching her without all that makeup like her features aren't as sharp as i think the makeup kind of tries to like her cheekbones and the jaw yeah. like she's got a she's got very strikingly sharp features um she's very unique looking and uh she looks much softer you know i think in person i i mean i'm sure all that makeup was done to to in, ex, accentuate the crazy and everything we cut to now, like, man uh, makes fool help him ca- carry Leroy into the basement while woman is making Alice clean up the blood in her new dress. That when, when Alice is, like, when she's leading Alice down the stairs and she slips on that blood, dude, that stunt lady, because it's not Alice, because you can tell that she never, the, the that camera shot, you never see the actress, but that stunt lady looks like she fucking clocked her head on the ground when she slipped and fell. Yeah, that looked painful. That really looked fucking painful. Of course, woman is going crazy. And and this is where I feel like this is like what I said earlier, how even though this movie feels contemporary in 2020, there's some dialogue that just feels very of the time. And right here, and woman's like, you children will be the death of me. And then she does that, like looking off into the distance, the death of me. And it's just like, you're like, okay, okay. That's, I mean, that is like literally foreshadowing 101, like looking off in the distance saying, yeah, it's just like, okay, that's, that's the kind of stuff I was like, eh, I don't, I don't like that right there. Hey everybody, Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim, and with me today in studio is co-host Dean. Oh, hey, hey, Tim. Dean. Uh, This isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then... Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. Hello! La, la, 
I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. And now, back to the show. In the basement, Man is carving up and eating Leroy. Uh, so we can extrapolate outwards. The rib cage at the beginning of the movie was uh, disgusting. probably uh, was disgusting. It was a it was a human uh, human rib cage, and it's weird because I re- first off I do remember this movie in Fangoria. Like I know Luke and I saw this because of Fangoria, and they showed off all the you know the kids and of course Leroy's body and stuff. And there isn't as much gruesome stuff in this movie as I think Fangoria led me to believe but the gruesome effects that are in this movie are pretty fucking gruesome yeah I think the Fango cover was the the main cellar dweller like his face yes. peeking through yes and I, um I noticed, that issue. you know rightfully so because it's very cool looking um but yeah I feel like it's tame the gore nowadays it would have been so much you think about how much gorier shit is now walking dead on ames like you know on television how gory that is compared to this yeah and that's like tv i know it's tvma or whatever the fuck that means nowadays but uh like an r-rated movie back in 91 was so much tamer than what we consider now yeah yeah if this was remade now this would have been this would have been you know you would have seen um fool like getting his hand caught on a piece of wood and like the wood ripping through his flesh yeah. or something like that you know or i don't know yeah when no the, you're right the, we we do live in a time where i think and probably evil dead had something to do with this but we yeah we do live in a time where like our we're also we can be used to our our protagonists getting really fucked up in a movie man evil that evil dead remake I was shocked that that was rated R because that, that tongue spoiler alert, that tongue cutting scene where the character cuts its fucking tongue off and they like show the whole thing. That is brutal, man. I remember fucking loving that movie, dude. I I need to, I I know that I know that part you're talking about. I remember one, that one girl like cuts her arm off with like the electric like knife or something. All the, all the gore in that movie was fan fucking tastic. And then that don't breathe movie where they, uh, where they make the, the villain drink his own cum, you know, spoiler alert. I mean, like who the fuck, like you would never be able to go there in the fucking nineties, you know, No, in the nineties, it was like, Oh, mm, mm, mm." that, that scene where Spencer's arm has been chewed. It's, 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 it's supposed to be shocking. That's the most shocking. Yeah. By today's standards, you're like, meh, there's not really any shocking gore in this. Oh, so so like you know you weren't like with him hanging Leroy up and like carving him up and eating him. You're you you weren't you were unfazed by that. I really wasn't. It's weird. I I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. I mean, it was I I, I was like, whoa, that's intense, but I wasn't shocked by it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've seen way too much at this point. I think <laughs> I'm so desensitized. <laughs> All of us are probably. Yeah. Um. 
so a fool fool's also hanging on like chains when man is carving up Leroy he kind of throws you know a piece of chunk of meat into the for the kids under the stairs um, upstairs woman makes Alice take a scolding hot bath because she got oh, blood on her dress now that that you know. is shocking that's hard for me to watch so the 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 interesting thing is this scene right here was the very first scene that AJ Langer and Wendy uh, Roby, uh, filmed together and so th- the interesting thing is apparently they're they bonded really hard over this movie like like they still communicate and she kind of became a i think a little bit of a mentor for aj langer but it was this scene and she said look look i'm you know we're gonna here's how we're gonna do this i'm gonna i'm gonna just scrub against the side of the tub and you can tell that's what she's doing and she's like this will make like a like a great sound and you'll be splashing and this and that and she said like her and aj langer were like in and you know AJ Langer screaming she's like I don't remember what I said but it was something about like you know you you know all the things she's yelling and she's like all this stuff's happening they're screaming this and that and then as they're like slowing down they they're hearing like cut cut you know like basically Wes Craven was like yelling cut while after all that but like they got the shot like on one take essentially and that was that was it but they went they basically overshot the shot and Wes Craven was like trying to yell cut while it was happening it's a it's an intense scene and both of them both actors are very much into it yeah so uh my mom once was married to a guy who was paraplegic and and he turned the water on in the tub once to take a bath and hadn't realized that he turned on, uh, we had a malfunction with our plumbing and the only hot water was coming out. So it was scolding hot water and he put his feet in the water. He didn't know. Not, and he didn't know he couldn't feel it. And then he looked down at his feet and he saw the skin just bubbling and Jeez. starting to lift off his feet. Jesus. And I remember it was like, it had to be late at night. 10 o'clock or something and I was eight and having to go to the hospital with him and they and I remember seeing his feet just like they looked like remember that weird stuff as a kid it was like blow blow plastic bubbles you could blow up with yeah you know? yeah, yeah, yeah it looked like that all over his feet oh just bubbling God. and like the skin was just falling off his feet and he couldn't feel it and so I, this scene I'm just like Anytime I see scalding water, I think of that moment with with Gary, my my former stepdad. You know, like because uh, he couldn't feel the f- like wow. the flesh. Wow. Oh, dude, like that is just brutal. So I I remember hearing. You know, I think I think it was pretty big time news like i don't know like five six seven years ago um there was like this family they were trying to figure out because no one in the family could feel pain um it was something hereditary um and you're like oh that must be cool but it's actually a really bad thing dangerous because yeah they they would they would you know you wouldn't know if you like broke a bone or did something and and yeah i think they all just kind of eventually die off these uh, from these small things that that you just don't know and you know you you realize that you there's a reason we feel pain obviously you know what i mean it's 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 a warning and if you don't feel pain there is a drawback to that it's kind of like that's it's kind of like a cool like superhero thing like okay i I can't feel pain but then you're like well but then there's all kinds of problems with that as being a superpower yeah yeah like like the consequence to having such a great ability Yeah. yeah Yeah, it's really interesting. So, mm, but yeah, mm. <laughs> can't feel my pain. Mm, I'm boiling back. feet, mm. <laughs> I'm boiling back, feet, mm. chicken skin. Mm. 
<laughs> but yeah, so that scene, I'm with you, dude. That the scene though here, it, it's a it's an intense scene. The the bath the bathtub scene is intense. For real, yeah. In the basement, uh, man throws Leroy's body into this like pit, um, this like water pit, and and you also see Spencer's you know bodies down in there, and he throws Fool into the room with the the people under the stairs. They kind of like start circling him. Now, we're, we're at this point. Later on, they become good, but at this point, do you, were they? Do you think they were going to eat Fool? Like, were they going to do it, or do you think, or? Or are we seen from Fool's point of view, like seen thinking that they're bad? Um, what was your take on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think initially you think, oh, they're going to eat them. But knowing what we know about them, they weren't going to do that. They were only eating the flesh that was, they were eating whatever they were given. Right. That was already dead. They weren't eating live people. Um, yeah, but you're seeing it from, I think you nailed it. Okay. Fool's so, perspective. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right, and, but so ultimately, though, if they got their hands on him, they probably wouldn't have killed him. I don't think so. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't know what they would have done with him, but I don't think they would have because they didn't do that. They didn't even eat the woman. They didn't even like eat woman. Yeah. yeah, they didn't eat anybody when they got out. Yeah, they weren't not, zombies, you know. Yeah, no, you're right. So I think Cannibals, yeah, I mean. kn- knowing how they're gonna behave, sort of at the end, I, I again, and this is why this is why this movie works really well with repeat viewing because I think I think that they weren't going to attack him, but you were just seeing it from Fool's point of view, so they looked menacing at that point. Yeah, 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 pretty okay. much. Okay. As they start circling around Fool, they hear a moaning coming from the pit, and then Leroy's dead body rises up and scares the kid away. It's Roach! Uh, again, Roach has been shot, and it's probably not good for him to be in down that pit with all that disease and stuff. Maybe this is what kills Roach. Maybe it wasn't the uh, the buckshot. Maybe it was like an infection from that pit and everything down probably, there. Probably, yeah. And how and how Roach can care uh, like lift up that dead weight, you know, is, is, is beyond me, but okay. For being stuck in house and not being able to work out. Yeah. 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 He's probably, he might, he might have pretty good upper body strength to be honest with you. Crawling around and yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And probably, he, he probably got no fucking fat on his bones either. So oh, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> um, man sends the dog into the basement, but Roach and fool hide in the furnace. Uh, fool sees that Roach has been shot and he says, Oh, well, we got to get you to the hospital. Uh, but Roach grabs a bag from kind of like this compartment above the furnace and shows it to fool. And it has all these gold coins in it, like a handful, like seven or something. Um, and then Roach writes the name Alice in the ash. That's kind of on the back of the furnace and then has kind of like a, a, uh, you know, as far as movie deaths go, I, I thought this one was kind of sad. Like, well done. Like, I thought uh, the actor did a good job of just kind of, like, dying. And it was even, – even Myra was like – I always she's like, I hated this part. Like, it, it really made her sad. No, I didn't want Roach to die. Yeah, he's the best part of the movie. Yeah. And, when you know, when he dies, the movie dies. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but, no, when he dies, it's a, it's a huge bummer. I would have made his teeth look a little more unkept. They're yeah. very nice. He's all gum, and the gums are clean. I'm like, <laughs> this guy hasn't brushed his teeth in years. 
You telling me he's got these nice, beautiful pink gums? <laughs> you like, know he's on. got the gingivitis, baby. Come on, he's got. Mm, you go get him gingivitis, <laughs> like he's just had, a, you know, <laughs> taking the chicken skin from the KFC and put it in the mashed potatoes. Mm, mashed that's potatoes. what I do. I just take the skin right off and I put it in the mashed potatoes. Mm. That's delicious. <laughs> Are we ever gonna review Sling Blade? No, hell no, but because no. that movie, that movie, is, that movie's a classic. That movie got robbed. That movie and Pulp Fiction got motherfucking robbed yeah. by Forrest Chump. Yeah, uh, and Shawshank Redemption too. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of Forrest Gump. Yeah, the, the perfect example of movies that do not require repeated viewing. No offense to those who like it, because it's all subjective. Movies are all subjective, man. Like it's that meme. It's like that's just your opinion, man. From Big yeah. Lebowski, that sums up. The fucking movie world, period. But that being said, Forrest Gump sucks. Uh, it's overrated. Robert Zemeckis, yeah, I will say, give me Frighteners and Back to the Future any day over Forrest. Or actually, did, Peter Jackson did. I was, yeah, I was gonna but, say, did he produce? But Zemeckis produced it. I think. I th- yeah, I, yeah. I was gonna say, I do feel like Zemeckis had something on that, but okay, he produced it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think he did. Uh, I think so. Anyways. Continue. Continue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, fool uses the furnace to climb out of the basement to the second floor. Uh, the dog kind of like following him all the way up. Um, in Alice's room, man is is like roughing her up, telling her that uh, that he killed Roach and he killed her black friend too. <laughs> this is great. The dog is barking at Alice's door. Man opens the door and just looks at the dog and he's like, "Shut the fuck up!" And t- t- <laughs> fucking slams the door right on the dog's face. Turns around and fool runs full steam and punches him. Right in the dick. Fucking drops that motherfucker to his knees. Again, Everett McGill, fucking fantastic. His facial expressions are great. Yes. He uh, kind of recovers himself, um, but then fucking full fucking drops a, a fucking drops a fucking lamp on his head, knocks him out there too. It's just it's great, dude. Um, I, love it. I, I love it, man. It's I love it. But uh, <laughs> and they he so full kind of escapes into the wall with Alice. So now they're they're moving through the wall, and uh, and as as Alice and Fool crawl through the vents, man goes downstairs to kind of burn Roach's body. Another fucking really cool scene uh where where the camera's right on everett mcgill and he's like burn in hell for getting free and burn in hell for showing the way i was like that's so cool and again he's just chewing that scene up bro he's it's pretty simple if you think about it like he doesn't he doesn't do much other than shoot and spout lines of dialogue like that but it's so good and he dances though his dance oh, in a little he dances bit will a jig. Be, i love his jig in a little bit it's fantastic um he uh man grabs his shotgun goes back upstairs alice and fool kind of get out of the vents and into the wall they're walking through the walls and uh fool kind of like you know he's, he's gonna sneeze and of course he sneezes and because of that man hears where they are and starts shooting through the walls uh, they're they're like moving around and uh, uh but they kind of like trigger a trap that kind of goes it sends a, like a wheelchair with like swords through the wall or something right so where these swords kind of 
puncture the wall. I, like we said earlier, I wish we saw more of those traps, traps that man created to uh, to fight Roach. Is uh, so now we've seen one Roach trap and one man trap. You know, you saw those in the movie The Collector. Yeah. What was it? The the girl, the first one, when the girl gets like sling, flung up on the wall or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was really dude. fucking cool. And the, and the razor blades or something. Yeah. And, the doors and she's just kind of like the standing window. there. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. I love Trap dude, House. Trap that movie House. was fucking awesome, guys. If you have. Well, sorry for ruining shit. But if you haven't seen the, the collector and the collection, they are a great like, you know, you talk about trilogies, but sometimes movies are just a one-two punch that are just fantastic. That being said, I've heard they're, they're making a part three. But as it stands now, it's a great fucking just one-two combo. Wouldn't you say Alien and Aliens is a one-two combo? Yep, it, it can stop right there and just— It and, should stop right and, there. And, and honestly, but you know, between you, me, and all of our listeners, for, for me, the canon goes Alien, Aliens, and then the Dark Horse comics and not yes. Alien 3, etc. But— uh, Yes. That's something that Zach and I plan on exploring in the future. Oh, where's Somebody wake up, Hicks. Mm, somebody wake up, Hicks, and give him some tires. Mm. How do you do that voice, dude? It kills me every single time I try to do it. It fucking. Somebody kills me. said that to me once in an acting class. They're like, "You can't do that. You can't sustain that voice." And I'm like, "Yeah, I can. I've been doing it all my you, life." You must. You must have some very calloused uh, vocal cords. My vocal cords look like Scott Glenn's scrotum sack. <laughs> hey, happy birthday to Scott Glenn today, by the way. <laughs> that guy, eighty-two mother. That that dude is. 82 in 2021. So if you're hearing this in the year 2041, he's now 122 and he's still alive. <laughs> probably. I, I, you know what? I think he probably is because he was Glaken. So he has to be. Yeah. <laughs> he's Glaken. Glaken. With his purple eyes. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so they, but they don't get hit by the trap, obviously. Uh, they they dodge it, you know. They, it doesn't hit them. Um, it's a cool trap. It's cool it trap. is it is a cool trap though. It's 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 a it. In a, yeah, I agree with you. It's like a half a second trap. They show for half a second, then it's done. Yeah, you're like, wish, oh, okay. Wish, wish there were more. That's all. Yeah. Yep. Um, man sends the dog again. Sends Prince into the wall. Uh, and starts chasing him, uh, but this time fool's like, you know, fuck this, I'm gonna stand my ground, which I like that. I'm like, yeah, fool, do it. Stands his ground, fucking just starts wrestling that motherfucking dog. Uh, man sort of follows the sound of the struggle, you know, and starts stabbing through the wall with this bayonet that he has on the end of his shotgun. And uh, fool kind of pushes the dog up against the wall as the dog's still like just you know trying to bite him and shit. And then man just stabs right through the wall, thinks that he hits fool because he pulls his blade out and it's all like bloody and everything and uh it's 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 you know some good dog acting because the dog goes you know kind of like slumps a little bit you know yeah Um, there's a there's a good there's a couple scenes where they they use a fake dog and it's very obvious yeah there is there is it's fine though because i think at this point like you know as an audience they can't use a real dog for that and i like when he does puncture the dog fool lets out a groan like mm-hmm. uh, yeah you know almost like he did it on purpose thinking you know given given man the 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 the, the illusion that he killed him I, I and i think he did because he knew to push the dog up against the wall so i think right when it happened he he did it um yeah 
and and I think that's a I, I always thought that was kind of a cool idea of, of yeah I agree for fool to do that fool's no fool 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 is no fucking fool uh, Corey would have been a fool and dead as as we said way earlier on in the movie but uh, fool and Alice see some light coming from the ceiling so they kind of know to kind of go up to the attic <laughs> downstairs another one of my favorite scenes man kind of like doing his jig God oh my God oh my God oh my God he's doing this like little <laughs> yeah jig thing and i love that shit i don't know it's fucking funny man everett is fucking great dude. it's like redneck ed grimley i yeah. got him you see i got him you see i, I must to, say i used to love that cartoon by the way i fucking as a kid. love ed grimley dude dude me too man I, i'm not I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you I, I i love me some fucking uh martin short not gonna lie martin, dude. ed grimley and Ernest. give me that any day uh, dude i'm with you buddy i am with you um but woman's like prove it and just totally like you know shits on him um man, a back upstairs man kind of like is like opening up the wall where we stab through and fucking just prince flops out like gurgling dead and i love the fact that like you know woman is behind man and they're both kind of facing the camera so you can only see you know so she wouldn't be able to see man's face and i love everett everett mcgill's face he's like oh shit you know it's just it's great dude it's great um but fool and alice make it to the attic and they find an open window fool kind of calls for help um and man uh hears that uh fool says they'll have to jump to the the pond below in the backyard and out but alice is too scared uh, man f- bursts through the door and uh, uh, she he kind of like starts shooting. Fool goes through the window um, and into the pond. Uh, Fool gets out of the pond. You know, he's like, kind of swimming out of the pond and man all of a sudden is just down there. He's like on him like stink on a monkey. Comes out the back door and starts shooting. Fool kind of like runs away, hops the fence and then woman yells at man for shooting his gun and uh, that's the end of the movie, guys. Uh, we're done with uh, People Under the Stairs. It's over. The end. The end. What'd you think of the movie, Zach? Credits roll. Yep. Uh, <laughs> shitty song at the end. Do the right thing. <laughs> Uh, no, that so structurally, I always as a kid thought this was a little bit weird because you have a little bit of like an anti-climax. Fool kind of gets out, but he has to, he's gonna have to go back. And you know, as as much as I always, you know, love movies for doing something different, we're all so used to the three act structure. We're all so used to that rigid structure that when you break it, it does kind of feel a little weird, you know. It is weird, but I can tell you I've had many a nightmare or bad dream where I've escaped something in my dream. And probably this is the movie that caused this memory. I've escaped something in my dream. I woke up and I went back into the dream to kind of fix it. Like I left something behind. And so there's this idea of like, it's a metaphor. I think it's a, on a deeper level, it's probably a metaphor. You know, you, you can, you can, you can continue to move forward in your life, but you can also, but you're going to leave some things behind some regrets. Yeah. And like, let's have no regrets, have no regrets in your life. No regrets. And, and a 13 year old little piece of gold, little fool, little fool's gold. If you will, (laughs) fool's gold ain't going to have no regrets in life. You know what I'm saying? No, dude. No. And he's, he's honorable. He's honorable as, as we'll find out very, very soon. No doubt. Back home. Fool is showing uh, the gold coins that Roach gave him to Grandpa Booker, who we mentioned was played by 
Bill Cobbs, who we fucking love. Ruby is also there, too. Booker says they have enough money to pay for the operation for his mama and to pay rent until the year 2000. Now that we're watching this movie in 2021, doesn't seem like a lot of money to, to, to last till the year 2000. I'm like, oh, no. well, we're way past that in this point. Um, Booker tells Fool to be careful with those, too. Uh, he says they're those are brother and sister, and they're evil. They started The family started out as, like, they're running a funeral home, you know, selling cheap caskets and uh they got into real estate and basically as they got richer and more greedier they also became crazier and in, in like inbred and everything and uh and even um uh uh wendy uh roby said that she tackled the character thinking that you know like her she was probably like aj langer her character was probably like aj langer when they were younger she even thinks that that her and and everett mcgill killed their parents and then became their parents. Like that's what, that's the story that she was going in her head. And honestly, that sounds good enough to me that they probably killed their parents and then just became their parents. So like I said earlier in the the show, I had watched the uh, night soccer documentary on Netflix, which is really good by the way. Um, and you know, we've all watched a million serial killer documentaries and murder documentaries. We all know that for the most part, these people come from abuse, right? Richard Ramirez was like horribly abused by his dad. He was uh, tied to a crucifix in a cemetery being for being punished by his dad when he was a kid, you know, shit like that. He saw like a, an uncle murdered or an aunt murdered in front of his eyes, Him. you know, sh- horrible shit. And you think about like, yeah, they were probably they carried down this lineage of uh, you know, bada bada bada. So it goes but then it flips into the mindset of Will Graham from Manhunter where he's like as as a child, I feel terrible for these people for being abused. But as an adult, I want them dead. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so so I have sympathy for their characters because they were probably abused, but now as adults you want to see them get their ass handed to them. Yeah. A la Tom and Jerry style. And they're Tom <laughs> and Jerry's going to whoop some ass. And we, and it happens and it's great. Mm, Cause mm. Stone Cold said so. Mm-hmm. No. Stone Cold Sling Blade said so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just can't keep up with the Sling Blade voice. That's all. Mm, I can go all night long. As, as Lionel Richie said, all night long. Mm-hmm. All night long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All, All night. night. <laughs> <laughs> God damn I got a karaoke that I got a karaoke someday as Sling Blade. You should. Fuck that. <clears throat> that fucking Sweet voice kills Caroline. me. Caroline. Mm-hmm. Good times never felt so good. So good. Mm. So good. Mm. I'm, I'm gonna have to isolate this and put it out there. All right. <clears throat> All right. So Ruby asks Fool if everything is okay while he's sort of like by his mom's side. He said he made a promise to Alice and he has to keep it. Fool walks out uh, out of the apartment complex and goes to uh, the payphone outside and calls the police to report child abuse. <clears throat> First of all, I love that. I love that. So smart. Yeah. Because I, because right when he did that, I had forgotten about this scene. Yeah, you're like, I was you're like, like, like don't go do? back, call the cops. And yeah, I even like, wrote that. I, before he even did that, I wrote call the cops, and then he calls the cops. And I'm like, oh, that's smart. You know what I think I like about this movie is that Wes Craven 
has the the kid character actually do logical things. I think that's what kind of makes it g- awesome. Yeah. Back at the house, a ton of squad cars are outside. Uh, like so many, dude. So many, dude. There's like eight cop cars yeah. out front. There's yeah. an entire police force there for for a white family. Again, yeah. that's yeah. a commentary probably, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Well, maybe so. not. I don't know. Maybe for a white family, there'd be one cop car. They'd probably, uh, they probably wouldn't even take the, the call seriously, to be honest with you, but. You're like, oh, oh, the Michelsons. Yeah. <laughs> they never do anything wrong. <laughs> Inside the house, a woman is serving coffee, and man is all cleaned up. Sort of. I like there's one part where he's got a hat on covering the, the like, a bloody spot where he got hit with the fucking top of the, the, the toilet, right? And yeah. uh, he kind of takes the hat away to kind of dab the blood, puts it back on perfectly. It's a it's like a well-blocked-out shot. It's one of yeah, those shots funny. where you're like, everyone had to hit their mark for it to work, you know? Well, and also, he's cleaning up his, like, SM, S&M <clears throat> yeah, gear that's it's, everywhere, it's everywhere at this point. But he does have, like, these cool little compartments in the wall and shit with, like, his guns and whatnot. And, um, I, and on one hand, you're like, oh, that's so cool. And on the other hand, you're like, that's so creepy because there are people who do, who there are people like that in this world. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, it gives me shivers. No, I know. That's that. I mean, that's why this movie is so fucking awesome is because, yeah, it's like you see the, like what's supposed to be a normal couple and then they're inbred uh, brother and sisters and they're fucking dressing up like gimps hunting, you know, kids in the walls. I mean, it's fucking crazy. Um, the cops, of course, are totally buying the, the the song and dance that man and woman are giving. Giving. At one point, they even find Alice's room, but you know, woman does the whole thing like, "Oh, that was our daughter's room. She passed away." And yada yada yada. We didn't, you know, didn't change it. It was silly of us. And of course, the cops are like, "Oh, we're so sorry." And of course, like I think the the commentary obviously is if they were a different uh nationality a different race they would have been treated completely differently by the police you know i think that's what Wes craven's you know trying to say with this um as much as the police are uh, as much as the police you know overall i would say do an excellent job they are they also do some inept stupid things too yeah you mean in real life yeah yeah so like this reminded me because literally i just watched this episode of the Night Stalker, where they hey, did knew you the watch Night... the Night Stalker on on Netflix? I, I, Night Stalker on Netflix, fantastic. <laughs> and you know, the Night Stalker at one point he he had a bad tooth, so he went to a dentist, oh, right? It's, yeah, so it's the, fucking fucking halitosis. Yeah, yeah. So so the the de- the detectives were like, okay, we're gonna put guys on the on the on the on the um, dentist dental office twenty four seven, and then they said, no, oh, well, let's put an alarm system in there. And in between switching over the alarm system and the cops, that's when Richard Ramirez came in there. The dentist was pushing the button to activate the alarm. The alarm didn't work. He ended up killing like two or three more people after that. Jesus Christ. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Cops. Why am I suddenly like from Chicago? I have no fucking clue. (laughs) Why do I sound like Bill Burr? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking fucking Han Solo and Bigfoot talking over here, flying through space. What's up with that? (laughs) 
<laughs> I do love mm. how he always calls uh, fucking Chewbacca Bigfoot. Yeah. <laughs> I love Bill Burr, man. I love him, and I love him in Mandalorian. Actually, he's like his character in The Mandalorian is like one of my new favorite Star Wars characters. I think he's fucking awesome. Yeah, I would buy his figure if they made one. Yeah, fucking fucking Hasbro or Kenner or whoever the fuck has mm, it now. Fucking they, Hasbro. Fucking Hasbro. They can, they can burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've missed... I should have written them down. i missed so many fucking burn in hells at this point. God damn it. No, I think you covered them so far. You got... And, hey, you, and you're getting up to my favorite <laughs> or most disturbing moment. Oh, okay. Oh, um, I'm excited which one, body. which one that is. But, um, hey, Zach, can you do me a favor and uh, burn in hell? Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and take Sling Blade with you <laughs> straight to hell. Because <laughs> Stone Cold said so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, uh, the cops leave and uh, man opens the basement back up uh, I like this part we see that the basement door was hidden it was like a hidden pantry and I was like that's cool that's really neat and as man and woman are going upstairs woman says the police left the back door open so much she couldn't actually watch it the whole time and this is really cool because as she's saying that the camera pans over and fool climbs out of the kitchen cabinet Fool walks over to the fireplace and gets the fire poker. I for, kind of forgot this was his plan, just to straight up bludgeon them to death. Um, he goes upstairs, and he can kind of hear man and woman talking from their bedroom. So he kind of, like, is, you know, advancing sort of slowly on them. He's sneaking around the corner, and he sees that it's actually a tape recorder playing the dialogue on the bed. Uh, the Adam, prayer or whatever. Yeah, they're doing, yeah. yeah, they're doing some it's kind of, like, creepy. yeah, now it lay me down to sleep, um, which was supposed to be uh, an homage to a nightmare on elm street because it was kind of like you know now i lay me down to sleep type of thing um at least according to uh the the trivia mm. um one two freddy's coming for you mm. three four mm, three four sling blade at your door <laughs> good one good one dude uh man just bursts out of the opposite side of the like the other room he's like in his gimp suit and just grabs fool and kind of picks him up in the air but then fool fucking digs his fingers into man's eyes woman i do too i love this too woman comes running out screaming fool fucking just hits her right in the shin with the poker i my, my note is she goes down and then fucking fool breaks the poker over over man's back again like i've never seen an antagonist who still has like viability of being scared get this abused throughout the entire film i mean totally agree man gets fucked up by like a 12 by a 13 year old this entire movie um i will say though most pokers are iron i know and that thing broke like wood i know that Mm, thing broke like just saying just point that out but i will say this um you can use the poker as a weapon in the friday 13th game and you can break it over jason so according to the people under the stairs and according to friday 13th the video game pokers can break over people's backs and then according to reality, they're made out of iron. <laughs> Fuck your reality. <laughs> and may your reality burn in hell. Why would you ever have a, a wood poker for a fire? Oh, I don't think it's wood. I think I mean I think it was it was supposed to be like he broke the metal poker over his back. Oh, the only time I ever seen no, that was Bo Jackson when he broke no. 
Remember when Bo Jackson broke the, broke yeah, the baseball yeah, bat? Yeah, that was badass. That dude. was that was pretty fucking badass, dude. Yeah. Not, not gonna lie. I'm not like a I'm not like a baseball like I'm not like even a sports guy, and baseball is like one of my least favorite things, but I do remember that, and that was fucking badass. That not gonna badass. lie. Bo Jackson was a stud. <laughs> he does, yeah. Uh so Fool runs downstairs and unlocks the downstairs door on the switch. They think, and then they kind of go after him. Uh, man thinks that fool uh, uh, went out back, uh, but he's really going up the fireplace chimney, which is kind of smart. Again, something I wouldn't have thought of doing. Um, and he's going uh, to where Alice is, uh, up, basically up to the, uh, the the attic area. Fool, so so Alice is like in the attic uh, with her arms up, so she's kind of like hanging off of a, you know, just kind of like hanging there, and fool. So she's kind of against the chimney, right? The chimney bricks. And Fool's able to move out a one brick just perfectly. That one perfect brick that's right next to Alice's head. It's a total movie moment. Uh, But, you know, whatever. Suspension of disbelief. And uh, Alice is... Major. I know. I know. And uh, Alice says that, you know, the spike is holding her chain up. So Fool kind of... Hits the spike from the inside, knocking it down. Um, the bolt loosens the bolt, and uh, basically she's free. But man comes back upstairs to check on Alice, and she pretends to sort of still being hanging there. Uh, man gets closer to Alice, and this is when he kind of like grabs his crotch. This is probably the most overt sexual. Like now we know that he he abuses her sexually as well. Uh, but when he's doing it, it again, it's like weirdly, you know, Wes Craven uses this as a as a comedy moment, which is interesting. But as he's grabbing his crotch, woman yells, "Daddy, come help me to bed!" And he like he's startled and everything, which it it's weird because it's still it's both scary and f- funny. Like you know, like I don't want to make fun of child abuse, but uh, Wes Craven fucking pulled it off somehow. He did. I just wrote down at the, I wrote down therapy. Yeah. Like this character is going to need all these characters are going to need therapy and, and moisturizers, lots of moisturizer. Oh Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, Oh my God. You just, you know, it's just, we live in an age where like the, 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 the family that the kids that were in that cellar in Cleveland, um, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. That were in there for years. And one of them like gave birth to the, the, the to the captors, child or something like that you just think about it's it's so gross just you know that this this sick fuck was like and you just want to see them get their comeuppance but but then we as a society turn it into a very funny show called the unbreakable kimmy schmidt yeah yeah dude it's disturbing i I remember watch i think i watched the first season and then Kristen hadn't known Femme French, as, as, as we like to call her, uh, didn't know it was based. I said, you know, this is based on a true story. And she's like, it is. And I go, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she goes, I can't watch this now because it's just like, I can't make fun of this. And I go, yeah, I I, I kind of feel you on that. Like, it's really messed up, you know? It's like when they made that comedy movie with Danny McBride about the, 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 the in real life where that guy had that bomb attached to the neck, his neck and had to, like, rob, you know, rob a bank, and then his head got blown off. Then they, they turned that concept into a comedy movie. I'm like, yeah, it's the same thing as Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Like, it's this weird thing where we take these horrible real-life scenarios and make them into very funny comedies. I don't know why. 
Yeah, because let's be honest, you know, we may be, if we're not directly affected by it, we may need to, we may be able to laugh at it. Because, like, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was, is funny, but then you think about the people that were affected directly by it, and you're like, is it funny to them? Probably not. But, I mean, they're only, like, three or four people. The rest of us are enjoying it. Yeah, so come on. 30 minutes or less? Give me 30 minutes or less. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, (laughs) Fool can't get through, obviously, the small hole. But he does climb up through the chimney and then kind of back kind of goes a roundabout way into the the back to the window, essentially, Um, the the attic window. Um, Man and woman have already left. Fool tells Alice that they aren't her real parents. They stole her. They stole her when she was a baby. He's all he's trying to do is just get Alice out of there. But Alice says they can't escape the same way. Man drained the pond and put broken glass in it, which kind of reminds me of Way of the Gun, which is a movie that I very, very much enjoyed, but had the worst marketing I had ever seen in my life. Because in the trailer, in the shootout at the end, in the trailer where Ryan Phillippe like dives into a fountain for cover. Uh, you know, there's broken glass in there and then he kind of screams and it's funny. It's weirdly played as a joke in the trailer, but then in the actual movie, you, you, it's not a joke because he has glass sticking out of his arm. And I'm just like, wow, you guys had, that was like one of the first times where I was like, I realized that, you know, when a studio doesn't know what to do, like what this movie is and how to market it, they in, inevitably always market it wrong. Always. They always yeah, market always. a movie wrong. Yep. Yep. It's fucking Hollywood. Uh, Holly, yeah. Most of the time they don't know what they're talking about. Th- this is, this is the third uh, tonal shift for me in the movie. Okay. Cause now mm-hmm. it's turned into a, a, f- uh, a fuck kid- them back sort of thing. A f- yeah, a full-on kid adventure. Yeah. Like you were saying, you know, it's a kid adventure. This is when it becomes a full-on kid adventure because it's like he comes back for, for revenge. Yeah. It's the third. For me, it's like, okay, this is, it makes kind of sense that there's, that there's three acts and this is the, the third and final act. And in each act has almost, uh, yeah, maybe <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised if each act had a deliberate uh, tone to it, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I and I do like where this goes. I think it's fun. Me too. But I oh, think I, 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 I'm not complaining. I, I would hazard a guess and say you and I are both fans of like the Hills Have Eyes scenario. The the and and I'm referring more more so to the to the remake. But like where uh, some group or family or person gets just so brutalized, but then you spend the next like 30 minutes of the last 30 of the minutes of the movie watching that person get all the 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 comeuppance you know get all the fuckbacks i love those kind of movies so much dude me too hence the collection yep yep people people won't get their shit fucked back so karma's a bitch (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, oh man and now we're gonna be leading oh before we get there though uh so fool tries to go through this grate on the ground kind of unclear how this where this grate sort of led to but you see that it's trapped with dynamite and setting up basically what's going to happen in the climax. Um, but Alice says the whole place is trapped. Uh, Fool grabs a brick and says they're going to the roof, which will lead to like literally one of my favorite moments in the entire movie. Um, on the roof of the house, 
Fool and Alice are walking over to the chimney. They can hear man and woman fighting in the, the bedroom below. Uh, man man kind of sees dust falling down the chimney. So he's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, check this out. And kind of like he's in his gimp costume, by the way. He looks, he kind of sticks his head into the chimney, looks up and fires his shotgun. And, you know, he thinks he got them. And then fucking Fool drops the brick right on his fucking head, man. Great. It's so alone. fucking great, dude. Awesome. I mean, he's twitching. Fucking woman, like, is screaming. It's it's really effective and and hilarious. You know, it's both. It's satisfying. That I think that's the main thing. It's very oh, satisfying. Yeah. Very satisfying. Woman grabs the gun and kind of looks up, but Fool and Alice are kind of making their way down the chimney, and this is when they do some real Mad Max sped up footage shit, you know. Uh, You know, I I will say, me, Corey, a personal pet peeve of mine is Mad Max sped up footage. I've always, I never like it, to be truthful with you. Um, It doesn't take anything away from the movie, of course, here, but it is silly. And it's also like, okay, first off, there's Mad Max sped up footage and you can see the wire holding them. I'm like, come on, give us one of the two, you know? Yeah, or at least slap a Benny Hill theme song on there. It's, it's something. <laughs> you know, it's like, come it's, on. Well, especially since they land on woman and then like fucking like just start going crazy on her. Like yeah, that and it's right still there. Sped up when they do that. Yeah, that would take. That would be perfect for the Benny Hill uh, song as well. But uh, I even. But I do love the fact that fucking fool sticks his fingers up her nose oh, and she's great. like screaming. You know, I was like, man, it's it's great. And and uh. uh Wendy Mc uh, Mc Robbie, Wendy Roby, uh, she says she said that like she remembers fondly that scene with with her and uh, the actor that played uh, Fool, and she was the one that taught him how to fake stick his fingers up her up her nose by you know bending her fingers type of thing because she was like he was like kind of freaked out about it you know because I think he was just kind of scared of of like putting his hands up her nose but again I think I I. Everything that I've heard on the behind the scenes, this movie was a, a complete fun joy for everyone to make, which is weird because it's such a twisted concept. But it, apparently, everyone had just a great time on it on the set. Oh yeah, yeah. It it it, 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 it even though it's it's dark, it doesn't feel as dark as it could be it doesn't feel as dark as what it really should be like of what the yeah. subject matter they're dealing with and i oh, think yeah. and that's probably Wes craven was like you know what the subject matter we're dealing with is already so fucking dark we need to like just just smooth the waters out a little bit with some humor you know and i think and yeah. i think it works it works and at the end they just drop a big like uh, let's make a deal <laughs> on everybody. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, so yeah, so, so so they're kind of like on top of woman. Fucking fool's got his fingers right up her nose, um, and uh, uh, you know they're attacking her and everything. She drops the gun. Kind of it slides down further into the the chimney um and then fool and alice kind of go down with it while woman kind of walks away from the chimney she's all fucked up with like soot and everything and she proclaims caca (laughs) zach's favorite word my favorite pg curse word is caca i love caca (laughs) and 
you know, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, I never paid attention to Kaka until you and I started doing this. So when I was watching this with Myra and she yelled Kaka, I smirked because I was like, oh, well, that, well we're going to be talking about that on the podcast. <laughs> my, my favorite my favorite comedian is this guy named Pablo Francisco. And if you if look up if you look up Pablo Francisco and Kaka on YouTube, he does a whole bit on Kaka. He's like, Kaka is just such a funny word. You know, <laughs> did she go Kaka? <laughs> like this kind of shift, like, mm-hmm. I mean, you go is, caca? I mean, it is a good word, dude. I'm not going to lie to you. It's funny. It is yeah. funny. The delivery in, uh, from, by Wyndham in Prince of Darkness is caca. Yeah. This yeah. is caca. And then hers, his, hers is more like caca. And then Pablo Francisco is caca. <laughs> and then Sling Blade is mm, caca. Mm. I just want caca in my pants. Mm. <laughs> They think I'm wearing Depends. Did he wear Depends in the movie? Nope. <laughs> Alice and Fool kind of uh, separate in the chimney. Uh, Fool keeps going down into the basement to get the uh, the shotgun and free the kids while Alice heads for the back door. In the basement, Fool comes out of the furnace with the shotgun. The boys are yelling for Fool, but he kind of shushes them. Um, I like this. Now they're kind of like, you know, they're on the same they're on the same side. Um, back upstairs, Alice gets jumped by Woman. Uh, you know, she comes running at her, but I love how fucking Alice just stomps on Woman's foot uh, and, and gets away as Man comes downstairs. Woman tells Man to kill them both, and this is kind of like, yeah, there was kind of like this thing going back and forth where Man wants to kill Alice, but, you know, woman is kind of stopping him from doing it. Now she gives him full permission to go and, and, and kill them both, you know. Man and woman run into the kitchen, but Alice is gone. And, uh, you know, but woman's like, she doesn't have a key. She's still in here. Man and woman are searching the cabinets, but what they fail to see is that Alice went up the opening above the stove uh, back into the walls. That was something I didn't really mention earlier when, when Leroy was in there and everything, and they, they saw something moving through there. He was like, it's nice to see, you know, rich folk got rats too. This little, like, stove thing. I, Wes Craven does a good job of peppering in all these things that are just going to come back later, and you just, first viewing, you don't know what they are. Again, like both of us said, this movie demands m- multiple viewings. Yeah, totally. Uh, they hear commotion coming from the basement and know that Fool is down there. Man runs, uh, opens the basement door, but Fool is standing there with a shotgun on the stairs. Man kind of is like waiting for a second, and then he dives for the switch, and the stairs turn into the slide, and unfortunately, Fool goes down. Man picks up the shotgun and is about to shoot Fool when there's a knock on the front door. Woman tells man to be quiet, then turns off the off the house security and answers the door. It's Ruby. She's standing there, and she says she's part of a of a coalition, a group of tenants that were forced out, you know, forced out by uh, and forced out and fucked over by man and woman. You know, she's basically, you know, being like, you know, you fucked us. Answer for that type of thing. Um, woman slams the door in Ruby's face and then goes back to tell man to kill fool. Uh, one of the kids shines his flashlight in man's face and buys fool some time to escape. Then there's another knock on the door. This time it's the police. J- 
Just kidding. It's Grandpa Booker. <laughs> it's illegal to impersonate a police officer. But he does that to get her to open the door. <laughs> and uh, she's like, and I love it. At this point, at this point, woman is just like, she's not even trying to hide like how fucked up she looks and everything. She's got the gun behind her back and everything. And, and Grandpa Booker's like, we just want to say our piece, you know, type of thing. But then woman's like, fuck you all, pulls out the gun, about to shoot him. And a whole group of people kind of show up behind him. These are all the people that, you know, were fucked over by, by man and woman. Um, and then she kind of doesn't really give a shit and about to shoot Ruby, Ruby right there when fucking Alice falls from the ceiling on top of woman fucking lands on her and, and even better, like while she's on top of her fucking slams her head in the ground and knock her out. Now the effect of all this, not the best because a it's sped up Mad Max footage of yeah. of Alice falling out of the ceiling. B you can see the cord holding the Alice stunt double, but ultimately it's so much fun because the shock on the people's faces to see a like a white girl fall out of the ceiling, land on this crazy bitch, and then while this crazy bitch is on the ground, she picks that fucking bitch's head up and slams it against the ground again. Everything that happens to man and woman in this movie is so satisfying. You just kind of, you're like, yeah, okay, it's 1991. What are you going to do? There's no CGI, guys. Like, what are you going to do? Isn't that when when Ruby, doesn't she say, you knocked that bitch out cold? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Something like that, yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's, well, it is pretty fucking great. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I loved it, too. I, I, I was hoping, expecting, like, the people to charge the house though at this point yeah because yeah. the door suddenly slams shut and you're well, like no no that's not happening oh. yet. well yeah when that get you yeah you know i'm just like yeah. wait but wouldn't you be breaking this shit down because she knows her brother's there or, or, well well you know. they in their in in the movie's defense when that does happen they do bang on the doors and in the windows and stuff but to. we we know that it's shatterproof at that point yes that's uh, true. but we'll get there and very soon um, back in the basement, man is kind of chasing fool, sort of hunting him. Um, fool's back is against the loosely made sort of wall that's cr- that like it's like a it's like a fence, right? Yeah, that's dividing yeah. the two sides of the the basement, yeah, it's like basically, a, like a rickety wooden fence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, hands grab fool. And they start dragging Fool to the door, right? And so so Man has kind of got his gun on him. And right when he's about to shoot, the hands drop Fool. The buckshot hits the uh, the, the lock, breaks that. The, the main people under the main kid, the main people under the stairs kid, grabs Fool and sucks him, like kind of pulls him back in. So, I mean, at this point, they are fully, you know, aligned. Uh, the kids are, are working with Fool and everything. Um, but I thought that was kind of a cool little, you know, just a cool setup, basically. Yeah. Man hears Booker and Ruby call for Fool at the basement door, kind of go running up. And I like, I love that, like, he's, he's coming at them. He's got a shotgun and everything. But I love the fact that, like, I think Booker or somebody has a gun, but like they're so shocked by the the image of of man running at them. Booker just fucking closes the door, but it, it's perfect. It hits man right in the head, sends him back down again. He just gets abused by everyone this entire fucking movie. 
man falls back down the stairs. It's obviously a stunt double. You can tell it's not Everett <laughs> McGill. Um, fools tell a uh, uh, fool tells one of the boys that the door is unlocked and can and they can escape to the sun, to the birds, and the women. I mean, you know. And then and then they they show the one guy's face and he's just like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but i love that he's i love how fucking uh fools like and the women hashtag Uh, priorities yep uh in exchange the boy kind of shows fool where the vault is um but it's booby trapped and uh it's 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 a nice little callback to leroy and fools like oh i you know i knew how to take care of this because i was i think he says something like i was trained by the best or something like that i was like i like that it's a little callback to to leroy um although fool just all he does is rip out the wires (laughs) not very subtle but okay disabling the trap uh well he's about to do something in a little bit that i'm like whoa he had a lot of time to be doing what he did uh, yes i am 100 with you there we will call that out when we get there but i am with you and i know what you're talking about or at least i think i do yeah. uh fool goes into the vault uh and we see like all this money and i mean it's just piles of money and everything and this line didn't mean as much to me when i was younger as it does now but fool says no wonder there's no money in the ghetto and it's like shit dude like that it's yeah this movie the the we we kind of like yeah we we we're we're picking apart Wes Craven's faults here and there with the script and stuff but yeah where the movie needs to to be good it is you know what I mean totally it, totally and again and it doesn't take away from the overall no, film no no but again and also we we are one hundred percent honest on our podcast we're yeah. not gonna glaze the donut and just be like oh my gosh you know but we also are honest in a positive way yes like, yeah we, we always point out the shit that we love and yeah. f- as a as a personal favor f- to me can you uh do sling blade saying glaze the donut mm. we don't we don't just glaze anybody's donut mm-hmm. we get we get that donut and it's glazed and it's good mm. <laughs> We'll put it in our mouth and get glaze all over our mouth. Mm-hmm. It's a tater donut. Mm-hmm. If, if I just sit here, you'll just keep going, right? Yeah, I will. I will. Okay, okay. Uh, upstairs. Reminds me a cyborg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> upstairs, Ruby and Alice uh, hear the door close, and they think, like, woman went outside, out the front. Ruby goes outside, and she's, like, you know, asking her, Where, where'd that bitch go? You know, did you see her come out here? And the fucking door closes right behind her. Now, I will say, I will say, I do, did you hear in the crowd somebody said, she's still inside? I liked yes. that. That was fucking cool. That was um, cool, yep. Alice is still in the house, though, unfortunately. Um, Alice tries to use the security system, but it's been overwritten. Now, I do... <laughs> I am amused by the fact that there is like a a computer voice saying, you know, something like you know, an over like who who the fuck put that in there? You know what I mean? The same person that gave basically gave them all that un, unlimited cash in the basement, I guess. That's true. That You know what? When you have that much cash, you can hire somebody to record anything you yeah. you want them to say. So because uh, the thing is clearly that fucking security system is like proprietary like it's not like it, it's something they probably had to build themselves it wasn't it's something like they hired somebody to do yeah. you know yeah there there are some they are some smart inbred mofos they are they are 
So now, you know, the security system doesn't wait. It's been overridden. Uh, Alex walks in. Alice walks into the kitchen and finds woman with a knife. And then, I mean, just a great shot of, like, she's like, I see you. And the woman's like, I see you, too. And then pulls the knife. Total, what is it, a mommy dearest type of scenario. Just screams with the knife. straight up. Yeah. Her hair is crazy. Her makeup is crazy. Everything. Um, And she starts chasing Alice. She kind of stabs through the door. Alice uh, Alice goes for the stairs. Woman kind of tackles her on the stairs. And they're, they're wrestling. They're about to fight. And all of a sudden, boom, a hand breaks three breaks through the stairs and grabs woman's hand you know with the knife and then just starts biting it it's it's the main guy it's the main uh, people on the stair kid you know he kind of comes out of the stairs a uh, woman is sort of like running around the house and as she's running around the house just kids are breaking out all over the place it's really fucking cool um, and she just gets kind of getting attacked and everything uh, this is the one time where she's on the ground like struggling and, and trying to get away and where like one of the kids you know shirt gets lifted up and even though their hands are all pale their body was like perfectly tan and I was like ah, you're an actor yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're you're gonna go back to your trailer after this but uh but it's cool it's fine I don't care again I don't give a shit it's fine um but As she's running away and everything, she finally, she runs into the kitchen and basically runs right into Alice's knife. Like Alice has her knife like sort of sticking out, you know, and she says, but I'm your mother. And this is when Alice is like, you're not my mother. And the woman kind of like pulls the knife out of her, out of her stomach, screams to attack Alice. But the kids like kind of grab her and surround her and everything as she's screaming Uh, downstairs in the basement, man yells, mommy. You know, and then like fucking woman's dead body gets rolled down the stairs with all the kids are there and everything. You can see that her fucking like throat is like all torn out and stuff. It's it's really cool. I yep. like that. Back in the vault, fool finds a box of dynamite and kind of moves the top. A coins fall off. Alerts man. Man turns around, goes back in there. He busts into the vault and he hears coins falling. He's kind of following the sound. And he's, he's like, oh, I know what you're doing. You're counting the coins. I've done that. I've done that a thousand times. I'll do it a thousand times more. And when he rounds the corner, he sees that the coins have been stuck into a um, uh, like three candles. And, and, and as the candle is melting down, the coins are releasing and falling. But the problem is, A, when did Fool have time to do this? B, have you ever tried to jam coins into like solid wax and see like the co- like the the wax isn't going to melt that fast to get to the ones in the bottom you know like yeah even as a kid when i was watching it i was like it's a clever idea I get what you're trying to do. I totally understand it, but no way, shape, or form would Fool have the time to concoct such an elaborate trap. Also, too, you'll find in a second, he also like restrung the dynamite and like yeah. re, you know, wired that. It's like, yeah. And I think to your point that you made at this point, two hours ago, about <laughs> how like in like the time that we live in now, not only 
like not only our movies can be a bit more brutal and they don't have to like ha- have this unwritten rule of inserting comedy to trying to break the tension. But at the same time, I feel like movies nowadays try to be much more realistic. Back in the day, this kind of shit flew. We were like, yeah, no problem. I don't think a, a setup like this would fly today. No, no, it, 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 it yeah, it, you let it go. Cause you're like, okay, we're going to get to the payoff. But it's so implausible. Yeah. So implausible. And I get it. I get it. The whole thing is make-believe, and it's and it's fantasy. It's twisted fantasy. But come on. Like, this is a, we're talking a matter of not minutes, but more seconds of him coming down and, and discovering this. This is really over the top. you got to really suspend your disbelief. I'm okay. I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But again, it's more just like... But don't stroke me and be like, oh, my God, this is so fucking good. Like, no, it, it's awesome, the idea, but the real, the realistic side of it is way off. I mean, if we're going to fucking talk about people under stairs for four fucking hours, we can't let this shit slide. No. It just, it and, and the thing is, like, my thing was, like, why bother putting them all the way at the bottom? Like, the three candles had, like, a total of 20 coins. Like, just put, like, four in there. You know what I mean? Like, I, it just it was too much. <laughs> just it too much. It would have made more sense if he had... I'll give it I'll give it this. It would have made more sense if he if he had the dynamite wired, okay? But then he's throwing coins. Yeah, there you go. He's in the yeah, corner yeah. throwing the coins, you know? Yeah. And then he's hearing the coins cling clinging and whatever. He walks over to that and boom. But but as we said at the very beginning of this podcast, there's some things that Wes Craven doesn't care about and there's some things that he does care about. And yeah. you know what? In his defense, he made the more interesting choice. He made the more fun choice. And, you know, I think he did spend more of his energy trying to, like, impart the moral. Like, this this shit wasn't as important to him as, like, imparting the moral of this movie onto the audience probably was. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Uh, of course, Fool's kind of like outside of the of the vault and yells, hey, man spins around with uh, the gun. But Fool is holding the two like wires, the booby trap wires really close together, you know, implying that like if he shoots, you know, I'll, I'll blow us all up. Specifically, that's what he says. But Fool tells him to drop the gun. But man, kind of like there's like this back and forth. He's like, I don't want you know, I, I don't mind killing you. You know, I don't really like you much either which I enjoyed, uh, but man tries to make his move and full clicks the, the wires together, dives out of the way, blows the whole fucking thing, sends man flying through the air and into the fucking pit in the basement. It sets off a, the explosion sets off a chain reaction of the other pieces of dynamite in the house. First of all, I thought that that trap blew up all the dynamite. It was this viewing, my very last viewing, that I noticed that the explosion rattles the, 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 the door that's in the attic that we saw the dynamite on. So, like, I like that. It's, the explosion rattles it, triggering it. I don't think yes. Fool, like, was trying to do that much damage, but I never noticed that the first time. I thought they were just all, like, linked together. And then this is, like, why, like... 
why did Wes Craven take the time to show that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why did he make that work so well, but yet the the coins falling thing we had to like really, really just falling. <laughs> you know. But oh well. We have a shot of like man kind of like holding on to the the pit and kind of slumps slumps into it and just kind of falls into it. Fool gets up and Alice is, rushes down to help him. Outside, everyone is kind of picking up the money because the the top blew off the the building and like you know raining down money and notice nobody notices the the zombie looking kids kind of going out into the night because they're so you know they're so they're so into their money but like yeah the the kids they just i like how they just go off into the world we don't know what's gonna happen to them the kids go off into the world uh you don't see fool's family search for him and find him yeah. but you do see everybody rip, picking up the money mm-hmm. and going nuts for the money so on one hand i understand the idea of like we're poor and we we want money but it's also a little this wouldn't fly nowadays in yeah. my opinion because this shows this shows a side a cliched side of people in the inner city uh people who are deprived like all they care about is money you know, okay, like versus like yeah. the reality of let's. I would have liked to have seen a resolution with his with his with his sister and his grandpa. I would have liked to seen that and, personally. And I I am completely with you. I I dare say this ending almost it doesn't, but it almost undercuts the entire movie um and i think in 19 in 1991 it worked like it it wasn't a problem but now in in 2021 i'm like well why aren't they like i i wish the the message that that wes craven was putting forward was that money doesn't solve everything and that you know like there are is more important things than money but at the end yeah they're all just grabbing the money and you're like huh well then you like I, I think at the time he was trying to like say, hey, let's give the money back to the, the people that need it, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but now it plays a little bit differently. You know, like it, yeah, it does. Just it a really bit. does. Yeah. But, and I'm okay, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. I, I understand, you know, and in, in, in the track that's playing at the end, it's the song's called Do the Right Thing. And it's like, well, you're not doing the right no. thing. Th- that you know, track, like, I, I wish that track was not on the movie at all. No. No, it, it's bad. No, because because you actually end it. You, I guess there's four tonal shifts because at the end it's suddenly like a. It becomes like house house party with kid and play or something. Yeah, you know? or the end of Monster Squad, you know, yeah. where the monster rap is playing, and and that fit for that movie because that movie is a comedy, uh, horror comedy. This this is more like horror parody in a way, you know, twisted horror parody. Yeah. yeah. Um, it doesn't take away at all. No, overall for me. But but well, I think but, it, but I think it's very much a product of its time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And and it and it does feel dated in that sense. Just which, that. Yeah. Which is weird because there are a lot of moments in the moment. There are a lot of moments in the movie where I was like, "This is like a 1991 movie." Like you know what I mean? Like it had some very progressive ideas, and then I just felt like, yeah, that at the very end just. Again, it doesn't, but it almost literally derails the entire message the movie's trying to send. Yeah, yeah. But, but overall, overall, uh, I gotta say, 
Um, I know for a fact that I enjoyed this movie when I was younger more than you did. And, and I, it was a movie that I found to be very fun and Luke and I quoted a lot, but I realized when I was watching this with my wife, because she was like, Oh, I love this movie as a kid. Oh, like she was like, Oh, I know what's coming. And she was like into it. She, she loved it, but she watched it a lot more than I did. I realized I hadn't seen this movie probably since like 1997 or 1998 or something. And all I've been saying for the past few days, this viewing had me made me re-fall in love with this movie. I can't even begin to tell you all of it, even with all of its faults, how so just tickled I am with this film, how much I enjoy just how much I enjoy hating uh, Everett McGill in this movie, how much I enjoy hating um, uh, Wendy Roby in this movie, man and woman. They're such a, they're just such great characters to hate. And I feel like you don't, hear people talking about this movie a lot although in the circles that we run in uh on online and everything whenever it does pop up people are always like oh i love that movie but it's not one that pops up a lot and i and while i'm watching it these you know few viewings here before we review it i don't ever hear anyone talk about everett mcgill you know as a villain and stuff and i'm like watching this movie i'm like he should be up there with like just some of the great movie villains of all time. He's so much fucking fun to watch in this movie, but maybe it's because of the humor. Maybe it's because of his character is, is, is abused so much, but I still think he was still effective even though he was funny. But I think, you know, with all of that, it was probably, it was there to service, you know, fool. It was there to, to make fool, uh, the hero that we want him to be. And ultimately, as the anchor for the film, I think he's fucking fantastic. I love that actor in that role. Like you, I've never seen Mighty Ducks. Like you, I've never seen The Sandlot. I know it has something to do with a big dog or something. I don't know, in baseball. Well, it's a baseball movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, man, he's fucking great, dude. He is a kid actor in this role he doesn't fucking make this movie worse, right? Like, like he doesn't bring this movie down at all. And AJ Langer's great. Fucking Sean Whalen's great. I think everyone's fucking great in this movie. It is a fun, unique film that just, there's nothing like it out there at all. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. It's, it's, it's a, it's fun. It's unique. Uh, it's, it's, you know, a little, little dated in some respects, but overall I think it's super enjoyable and, you know, uh, ironically, it's the 30th anniversary yeah, uh, yeah. in 2021. So there <laughs> yeah. you go. It's kind of perfect yeah. timing-wise to, to air this movie. And and it, it's a good snapshot as to what Wes Craven was doing in the 90s, you know, because he took a little bit of a hiatus, and then he came back with New Nightmare and then ultimately Scream, uh, where he, quote-unquote, reinvented the genre. He didn't, uh, but he definitely you know, changed it up enough to, to, to give it a little boost again. Um, you know, Wes Craven is, he, he's, he's a horror icon. And this is, this is a good example of his originality. And I loved it more this time than I did back when I saw it back in the day. I've probably seen it three times and definitely the third time was the charm. Oh, that's cool, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that, that like this time was was the time that it kind of connected with you. Yeah, I just I don't know. Overall, you know, fortunately with this podcast, we we dig deeper in our analyzation 
of a movie and uh you know whether what works and what doesn't and overall it, it works so i you know give it two severed thumbs up two sling blades up mm. next time i see this movie i'm gonna eat some taters and mm, <laughs> have myself a diet coke to watch the calories that go into my body mm. Make sure I watch people under the stairs and see if I can recognize a cousin or two that's been under the ground. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out there was one uh, really quick when when he killed his dog, when he killed Prince, and he goes in that room. There's pictures all over the wall of all his. It's such a it's a really short scene, but the, the, there's pictures all over the wall of all the people that have been. It's like he took photos of all the people he's killed and kidnapped over the years. Oh, I, I didn't, I didn't notice if, that. If you pause it, if you pause it, you can see just like snapshots of people on the walls. That's cool. That's cool. So, and, and, again, and, I wish they would have gone a little more into that. But yeah, well, maybe that's what Wes Craven wanted to do on the TV show or, or something. Um, it's it's very interesting how 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 some some parts of this movie Wes Craven really focus in on, and then some parts he's like, eh, that doesn't really matter. We'll just we'll just slide past that real quick. Yeah, you know, uh, if you're going to remake Black Christmas two times within a 10-year span, which is is a joke, like what a waste of money in my opinion. Like what a waste of money. They made they remade that it's been Black Christmas has been remade twice in the span of two, 10 years or less, less than that even, which is ridiculous. Uh, then remake this but give uh you know the director of your next what is it, is it adam wingard or i think or, oh yeah no. i think so he did the guest and yeah your next yeah and i think he's doing uh super i think he's doing a superhero movie oh, coming cool. up soon no 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 sorry i think he's doing the godzilla kong movie i think oh is that oh is that him okay uh, by, by the way so. i just watched that trailer today looks fucking bananas yeah that looks that looks fun. Um, you know, I'm not going to risk COVID to go. No, no, no. I have we have HBO Max. I'll just watch it on my fucking TV. I got no problem with that. I'm I I'm going to be you. high as fuck when I watch that movie. Yeah. First of all, Adam Wingard's directing that, and okay. Adam Wingard is the fucking man. I think he's you know next to Stephen Kostansky, he's uh, you know one of the best young filmmakers out there today. Yeah. Um, you know, look, look, you're next. The guest vhs you know yeah. come on um and by anyways, the way we've we've said it multiple times but we absolutely positively will be reviewing the guest on this podcast zach and i both adore that film we both have the cavity colors t-shirt uh we're, we're just massive fans of the guest honestly i love your next as well i I mean, if this if this show goes even further, then we'll probably get to that one as well because that movie is fantastic. Yeah, I want to cover all those. I would love to cover It Follows. I know he didn't yep. direct that, but you know that, I, th- that movie's brilliant. Yep. But um, but yeah, if he was to do a remake of this, I would be totally down for that. Yeah. With with knowing today's, you know, with what tonally shift would, yeah. would shift today. Yeah, like still, your yeah, next do it, do is it, dark like, humor. Do it like today. Is, yeah. Yeah. Do it today. Do it today. Do it today. <laughs> and you know what you should do today? What's that? Check out $2 late fee. Mm. $2 late fee is an um, 80s podcast that uh, Zach Schaefer does as well. Mm-hmm. They talk about 80s movies and they interview 80s actors. Mm-hmm. 
And in fact, the do you think Dustin? Do you think Dustin would want you plug into our fee in Sling Blade voice? I think he would really appreciate it. <laughs> You're like Dustin can burn in hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, we 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 were '80s throwback, just like uh, Billy Bob said. There, uh, we we got an interview we with. Uh, Gabe Jarrett, who played Mitch in Real Genius. This guy really doesn't do a whole lot of interviews. It's it, For me, it was a huge get. Yeah, you had to track I, him down. Yeah, I had to track him down. There's a long story about how I got him on there. Uh, we got an upcoming interview by the time this airs with Keith Coogan. We're actually doing a, a fun episode. Uh, we always kind of connect the interview, an episode with the interview, if that makes sense, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And so we've got an upcoming interview with Keith Coogan from uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Dishes are done, man. The dishes are done, man. And Adventures in Babysitting and Toy Soldiers. And um, he actually spends most of the interview talking about his his grandfather, Jackie Coogan, who was Uncle Fester on Adam's Mm -hmm. Family. And he talks about more of of some of the obscure movies that he did. It's a great interview. Uh, That'll be upcoming. Uh, but but to coincide with that interview, we're actually doing a fun concept. And the concept is, this is an exclusive. It's our top five Keith movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so our favorite Keith actors, actors that either start with the name Keith or end with the name Keith. Uh, and Keith our David. Five, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoil any more than that. I'm just going to say it's going to be a fun top five. And that'll be our upcoming one. But uh, yeah, check out $2 Late Fee. Go to our Instagram page. Give us a follow. Give us a like. All that good stuff. And, yeah. we, you know, we try to keep it light, keep it positive, just like we do on this one. There's, there's enough negativity in the world we need more bright spots yeah you guys you guys aren't snarky at all no Uh, dude because i mean we know a shit ton about movies i'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie you and i both yeah uh and dustin and i both we know a lot about movies do we know everything about movies no No. but do we have a good time yeah do we need more good times in the world yeah yeah in fact uh you know something else that is a good time in the world is talking about seinfeld Talking about Seinfeld. And, uh, Corey, don't you do a podcast about Seinfeld? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little something called Cartwright Seinfeld Podcast. Don't hurt your voice. (laughs) You're like, don't, you can't do it. Uh, sling blade said so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah me me and adam me and our pal adam <laughs> talking about fucking seinfeld every single week uh we just just wrapped uh season five so by the time you're listening to this episode we will have i think our season five wrap-up show will will be coming out this week um then we are going to be on to season six and we are actually going to be starting something uh a little different but anyways Go check that show out. You'll enjoy it. Seinfeld. It's good times. Um, but, Zach, we got a shit ton of stuff going on over here at Podcast After Dark's Patreon page. We got some interviews coming up. We got some in the can. Uh, by the time you listen to this, I think our Thomas G. Waits interview will probably be dropping very soon, by the end of the month for sure. And uh, next month, it's already in the can, so we can say it. We got Scott Valentine. You guys know him as Nick Moore from uh, uh, Family Ties, which was just he. All right, look, guys and gals, everyone we've talked to has been awesome, right? But 
Scott Valentine was like a next level nice guy. Like he was so incredibly nice to talk to. He was so fucking cool to he was just it was so easy. It was so fucking easy. Seriously. Yeah. Unexpectedly. Great. Yeah. So that's going to be coming out next month. I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. Um, we have a another interview lined up that Zach and I are going to be recording. I think it's this weekend or five. This weekend. Yeah, we'll in, reveal who it is uh, very soon. Yeah, exactly. We, we don't like to say until it's actually in the can because we're, <laughs> but it, but it, we're but professionals. It, like like we Pick says, we don't get angry. We're professionals. But uh, <laughs> a little hard target reference for you. But uh, it's going to be a fun one, and I think... Think you guys are gonna like it. It's actually has a connection to Wes Craven. A big connection. A bad, very big connection. So yeah. Well, so we have uh, some good shit coming. Um, we have you know check our Patreon page out. We got so many interviews at this point. When you subscribe at the at the interviews after dark level, you already have instant access to incredible interviews like Tom Matthews, Stephen Kostansky, Diane Franklin, Zach Ward, uh, Richard Band, uh, fucking Jonathan Stark. Stephen Jeffries, Tony Timpone. My God, we have we have over a year's worth of interviews over there. It's an incredible value for five dollars a month. Yeah, become a Patreon after dark. And as always, mm, we'll get you on the dark side. Mm-hmm. Join the Podcasting After Dark Patreon community to unlock exclusive monthly content like cast interviews and a fan feedback show. Plus, you get every regular episode of Podcasting After Dark completely ad-free. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us five stars on Apple Podcasts and by recommending us to your friends. Finally, make sure you follow us on Reddit Instagram, and Facebook for news and updates about future episodes. Just search for Podcasting After Dark. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.